to us as Christians. Too many of us in the body of Christ have unforgiveness towards someone, and we don't realize how it gives legal right to the devil to torment us. So out of ignorance, Paul says we're not supposed to be ignorant, but we are. Uh, Unfortunately, because we don't read this book. But before I get into that teaching today, I, I want to see if there's anybody here that's got a testimony that you'd like to come up. I know there's one here today that was such a great one at the healing school yesterday. I would like for her, if she would, to give that again. Uh, Miss Billy, would you come up here and give this testimony? This is, I mean, she has, her and Don have learned so many things here at the Living Savior Ministry. It has literally set those two on fire, and of course now they're realizing the importance of walking holy before God. And let's let Miss Billy tell us what happened to them this last week. If I can do this without, if I can do this without uh, being too emotional, I gave this yesterday, and those that you were here, y'all bear with me. I uh, uh, last Tuesday a week ago, I came to the Bible study and. I was walking with a a little limp, and that continued on through Wednesday and uh, Thursday. And then Friday, I got up, and I couldn't walk. And uh, neither could I walk Saturday. My knee swelled up two and a half times as big as normal. And so I I, uh, stood on the Word of God. Thurman has taught us so much. And like I said yesterday, we I thank God for... Thurman being put in our life. I, we've been coming here since April, and we have—I've been in church all my life, and I've not heard the teachings that we have heard. And as a body, we need to continue to lift him and Cheryl and Wendell and Shelley up, because Satan does not want this to us to learn all of these promises God has for us. And anyway, we uh, Saturday, then I couldn't walk, and I had been standing on these promises and. And I had asked God for, for forgive me for known or unknown sin, and I had thanked Him for my healing, and I had commanded Satan to get out of there, and and nothing was happening. And and Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, about four in the morning, I woke up and I was just the pain was excruciating, and I was crying, and and I had to go to the bathroom, and so my husband carried me on his back to the bathroom, and I got in there, and it it was just so bad. I, it was. I just can't tell y'all what pain it was. It's like a knife going through my knee. And so uh, I said, I was sitting in there, and I said, God, I have done everything that you have asked me to do, and nothing has happened. What is? What have I done wrong? Because I've stood on all those scriptures, and he revealed to me that there was something. It wasn't me, but there was something in my husband that he had opened a door to sin. And so... He got me back to bed, and I said, uh, and I shared with Don what the Lord had revealed to me in my spirit. And so I, uh, we got the word out, and we stood on. I said, turn to Matthew 18:19, and we, we two or more agree. And then we stood on the uh, Mark 11:24, and Don he said, well, I don't know what I've done. And I, of course, I said, well, I know one thing you did, because he had. When I was in pain, of course, I had to bring my daughter in to help me. And he had went and bought a lotto ticket. And, of course, 
God doesn't want that, and that is sin. And I knew that he had done that, and so he just, beside my bed, lifted his hands and started saying, God, just forgive me for any known or unknown sin. And, and, uh, you know, he worshiped the Lord, and so then we prayed. And then we commanded Satan to get out of me, and immediately the pain went away. And so I was just, it was so miraculous. And then my knee, I could even feel the top of my kneecap. And then the next morning, it was totally, the swelling was totally gone. But I didn't tell this yesterday on the way home. I mean, we got here to late church last Sunday. And uh, uh, I was sitting back there. And when I got up, I had told Thurman this morning that, when we first started coming here, every time I would come to a meeting, I would come in and I'd get a migraine headache. Well, I knew that Satan did not want us to learn this word. And so Thurman would pray for me, and every time it would go away. But when I would come back, the migraine headache, this happened about five times. And so then, of course, finally the devil got, <laughs> we got him out of there, and he knew that I wanted to hear this word. Well, last Sunday, after I was sitting back there, and when I stood back up, the worst Charlie horse that I could have ever gotten got in my calf of that same leg, and I was walking with a limp. And so Pat came uh, up to me and asked me what was wrong, and I told her the wonderful testimony that had happened that night. And so Pat said, well, has anyone laid hands on you today? And I said, no. And so Pat did. And immediately the pain went away. Of course, I felt the presence of the Lord just come all over me. And I was, I was just so thrilled at what God had done. And uh, we can't give him enough praise. And I, you, know, you husbands, you know, if there's the least little thing that y'all are doing, you're opening a door. But don't do it because it, it affects us. And we, I just want to give God all the glory because he is so awesome and what he's done in my life. When you can't walk, you you know, on the way to church that day, Don said something about, well, this red light's taking a little longer. I said, I don't care how long it takes. I, you know, <laughs> he has done so many things for me. I just want to worship him continually because it is awesome what he's doing in our life and what we're learning through Thurman's teaching. And I just want to praise him for it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What an awesome God. <coughs> Miss Sherry. Well, this is the... Uh, Hold the mic close. You were gone uh, when we... Uh, last Tuesday. And so I told a little testimony. And I said, well, this is a little one, but y'all, a bigger one came after that. Uh, uh, we Last Sunday, our friend came in from Florida, and his daughter fixed dinner for us. So we left from here, went over to her house, and so I went in the kitchen while she was fixing, and there were all these um, uh, fruit flies. Now this is the little one. <laughs> and so so they were just everywhere. I said, what is that? She said, oh, I'm so sorry. I had some fruit in here, and, and these flies came, came. And she says, what do you do about that? And I said, well, you command them to go, and they have to leave. She said, oh. So when we sat down to eat, there were still a few little flies around, and they said, we were all doing like that, and Dave said, he said, what is that? And they said, fruit flies. So he lifted his hand up, and he said, in the name of Jesus, fruit flies by midnight. If you're not out of here, you're dead. So 
we just went on and we ate, and I didn't notice anything bothering us. But the next morning, this guy was on his way to visit his mother in Kansas, and he called and he said, the fruit flies are gone. And I said, yay. So he goes on. That's the small one, which is awesome. You know, they're, they're just gone. They're out of here. So then the, uh, he went to Kansas, and he has this huge uh, ship in Florida. I mean, one like's got bedrooms, and, and it's stuff that he, sh- he uses it for the Lord. And so he called us, and he said, that uh, hurricane is coming right where the ship is. He said, I can't get a flight out to go back and take care of, you know, do anything. But he said, I need you all to pray. So we did. We came against that, that thing. And the first one just kind of, you know, it went off. It didn't do anything to his thing. Okay, that next one, then he calls the next day, and he said, huh? That hurricane is coming right towards my, my ship. Y'all need to pray. So we get off the phone, and we, so we, we put angels around it, on the top of it, underneath it, all over it, and then no fear. So um, he called yesterday, and he said, well, when, I don't know if y'all noticed on the uh, TV when it kind of showed it kind of twirling like that as it went over the land. Well, when it got over to where his ship was, it somehow pulled the water out, and his ship just went down like this and came back up. Not one thing happened to it. Praise God. Praise God. And we've learned that so much to, to, uh, to know our authority, and we, we just put protection around, and that's the way it is. Amen. And one-time prayer, that's all it takes. Amen. Praise the King. And our book, our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. Praise the Lord, Jerry. Glory. Glory. Praise the Lord. I love these great testimonies. Glory. Frank? Well, I have a testimony, but before that, I wanted to take an opportunity to thank everybody that came out to the ministry yes. center this last week and helped with the phone banks. Uh, as Thurman has mentioned, he was on uh, TV two nights, and they re-aired those shows three different other times immediately after. And so we had a good response of people that signed up and fulfilled their commitments and came out there. And it was just a blessing, and it was really a fun time. We were able to meet some new people, and those people were able to meet some other people. And, we, and it was just a blessing of God to be able to serve him and to serve the ministry. And uh, just in light of that, realize, too, at the end of the month, uh, he'll, they'll be on Daystar. So next week, we'll start signing people up that like to work at the phone bank for the, when they're at, uh, on Daystar. And my testimony is not one of healing so much. It's more of a, just one of obedience. Fortunately, after uh, I guess my wife's been coming out here for probably a little over a year, and I've been coming out for about six months. So by the grace of God, I think we're learning that, you know, as soon as the devil kind of just peeps his head in that door, that we're <laughs> kicking it closed so we don't Amen. have too much healing, uh, too much sickness in our family to have a healing testimony. But... The Lord started really dealing with me in the area of just obedience with with my driving. I, I've always kind of, you know, only driven about five miles over the speed limit, but I've always caught myself getting in that rat, rat race of just, you know, getting all, try to get there fast, and by the time I get someplace, I've all worked up, and God just started dealing with me on being obedient in my driving and driving the speed limit, and, and it probably irritates the heck out of everybody else, but I have just found just a tremendous blessing of God that as I drive now, just I'm not in the, you know, getting all worked up. I just kick back and relax, and it's just so peaceful, and there's just 
you know, there's just a blessing that comes when the full obedience of God. And, and so he's just done a lot. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You got one back there? You got a lady back there? Come on, Pat. You can come, then she can come. We'll take these two. Well, last Tuesday night, Wally got up and shared about a prayer that was answered. And without going into a lot of details, he got up and shared that I had this machine for sale and that we sold it and we were so excited and God had come through. Well, after I prayed for Billy last Sunday, I feel like we've been under just a lot of attack and that sale of that machine was from a bogus cashier's check. So what I thought was an answer to prayer turned out to be we lost $3,000 because, and I'm saying this to warn everyone in here, I knew nothing about Nigeria and what's going on on the Internet with people trying to buy stuff from you and sending cashier's checks that clear your bank and then they come back later and bounce. So I'm standing up to warn everyone that if you try to sell anything, I knew nothing about that. I don't even know how to send an email without Molly helping me. So I'm pretty computer illiterate, but I am going to learn. But um, I just want to warn you all that when you get a cashier's check, it can come back three three years later and bounce. So I always thought a cashier's check was as good as green money, but it's not. And we just got kind of burned and... So I know that that Satan is going to pay for this and that we're going to be paid back sevenfold for what the enemy's taken yeah. from us. And I believe that, and I'm standing on God's word. And when I've been sharing it with clients this week, and they go, oh, how horrible. And I go, well, we're going to see the glory of God. And we're going to see God come through and make what he tried to use for bad to our good. Yeah. So anyway, that. I just wanted to come up and share so that Amen. y'all Praise can not do the same thing that we did. And well, it's kind of uh, the fact that I knew something was wrong from the very beginning because of the way it was done. And I had a check in my spirit, but I didn't do something that Paul exhorts us, you've taught us. I didn't pray. And because of this, this thing kind of snuck under us. And when the cashier's check came in, my ignorance was I thought it was as good as cash. How would a bank cash a cashier's check if it wasn't good? Well, I didn't know that. So when the cashier's check actually cashed, we immediately realized something was wrong because she got the money, and I said, okay, fine. And she sent it, and I knew I had a check to say, wait. But I didn't listen to the warning, and that's my fault. But what I'm saying is, and we all make mistakes, the thing is is that you learn by them. But I got a greater message out of this than anything else. There is an attack in the United States of America right now going on. And we just got wind of this. We found out this is bigger than we thought it was because we got on the Internet and searched some things. We found out this is happening to thousands in America right now. There is an attack from countries that hate our country, hate our culture, hate our religion. And they are making an all-out war to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is bent on destroying this country. And the reason why is because the greatest church in the world sits in this country. The problem is she's asleep and she doesn't know there's a war going on. And she's being awakened by men like this and Wendell and me and others that are here and around the country. 
The problem is, is that God's getting a church ready, preparing her for warfare. Because when this thing breaks out, I'm telling you now, we ain't seen nothing yet. And if we're not rooted and grounded in love and have the Word of God in us, this is what woke me up. But like a, the prophet in me, I guess, I finally realized this is a call to wake up. To wake up and realize that, yeah, God wants to bless us and all of that. But what's more important is we need to begin to unite together in peace. We need to walk in love. We need to walk in obedience. Walk holy as we're being taught by the Word of the Lord. We need to realize that we just can't get away with just business as usual. There's no such thing anymore. We need to realize we need to be alert and aware of what's going on because, believe me, this thing took us by surprise. We were not expecting this to happen. And due to some ignorance and my not checking that Holy Spirit that told me this is not right, and I didn't pray and wait until we saw more results in the machine. And what they didn't do is they didn't send the information to where we were going to send this machine. They said they were going to send somebody to pick it up. And we made a mistake in listening to them and sent the money instead when we should have waited until we got the instructions. And actually even waited until at least the cashier's check really clear. But I didn't know that. What threw me off was the fact that it cashed. So I thought, well, but we found out it was not only forged from a check, what, seven months earlier? Uh, that these people are high-tech. They're very powerful. They have the best technology any government can have. And they're attacking America. They are using this to bankrupt this country, to put us into bondage. I mean, it's incredible what's going on. I mean, it's like my eyes finally got opened to some prophecies I've heard of a long time ago. And I believe this country is in for some very difficult times. But the Bible says when evil comes, God raises up a standard. And I know that what they have stolen, he's going to have to restore sevenfold. And there is going to be a people. I like what a pastor from Romania once said when he was sent to America. And God told him to warn this country of some hard times that were coming before he died. And the fact was is that what he was saying is, is only those who are rooted and grounded in the Word of God, who know their Lord and Savior, know their God, who have the Word of God hidden in their heart, are the ones that are going to survive. Those who don't know this are going to be destroyed. So all I'm saying in exhortation is to wake up and realize that what is taking place is no accident. If it can happen to us, it can happen to... Yeah, one of our relatives, we found out, had the same thing happen to them a few months earlier. Yeah, a lot of money. I don't want to disclose how much. All I'm saying is, is this is what's going on. And we need... I found out another thing, and the Lord showed me this in uh, Psalm 34, if you want to read it. It talks about those that trust in the Lord, that draw near to Him. When trouble comes, He will deliver them out of it. Uh, I realize now we just can't play church anymore. We can't walk a walk that's got, you know, we're not giving time to the Lord and putting Him first and praying and seeking His Word. And I love the way Wendell taught last Tuesday, I believe it was. That was an awesome message. Because it made me realize that we just can't take things for granted anymore. We've got to be right in the Spirit every single day. Amen. If you're not praying in the Spirit and studying His Word, taking time for God and putting other things ahead of that, I can assure you you're going to run into trouble. And that's what happened. Amen. Okay? Okay. Did uh, we had Ruthie? You want to have a test? Yeah, can, can we just agree in prayer to believe for the return of this month? Yeah, just, yeah, just, yeah. Come on over, Let, let's agree as a church, because we've had a member of our church be robbed, and I think we, the 
Bible says, where any two shall agree as touching anything, it shall be done. And I'd like to see the sevenfold $21,000 come back and have them stand up here and give that testimony and give that black eye to the devil. So, just like you'd agree with us. Lord, we just thank you right now for the truth of your word, Lord. And your word has made it clear that when the enemy comes in one way, he'll flee seven, Lord. And right now, we just agree with our brother and our sister. Father, we thank you right now for a return of that money. And we take authority and we expose the works of darkness. And we take authority over that spirit of theft that has tried to attack this family and has tried to attack this country in Jesus' name. And right now, Satan, we expose the works of darkness. We bind and we break that spirit according to the word of God. And we loose that $21,000 be returned back to them in Jesus' name. And I proclaim and I believe with all my heart that we will see a day where they stand up and give a testimony to the faithfulness and the truth of the Word of God. And, Lord, we just thank you for it, Lord. We'll give you all the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. I just want to say something else to go along with this because the Lord just quickened this in my spirit. There are two occasions in the Bible where attacks came on the church and then on an individual. One of them was David. When he was fleeing from Saul, he had 600 men under him. They had their wives, their children, and all their belongings. And if you remember, the Amalekites, the enemy, came in and stole everything they had, took their wives and their children. Well, the first thing David did is what we did. We fell on our face and worshiped God, and we got encouragement immediately. I'm telling you the truth. It was awesome. It gave us peace about this whole thing. And I mean, I remember what David did. He went to the Lord and inquired, Lord, what should we do? He says, don't worry. It's all going to be restored to you. Amen. So I know it will be. Second thing was Jehoshaphat. When he came against the, the nation of Israel or the church, the first thing Jehoshaphat did was the smartest thing in the kingdom at that time was that he called the people to repentance and brought them together in one accord and one heart and one mind. And what happened? They prayed. A man in the audience stood up and gave a prophetic utterance and said, The battle's not yours. It's mine, the Lord's. And he will fight your battle. Therefore, go out in your way and don't take your weapons. The weapons are in your heart and in your tongue. And that weapon is to praise the Lord and worship Him. As he did that, the enemy was put to rout. And not only did David and Jehoshaphat get back all that was stolen or would have been stolen, they got the spoil. So we're going to get the spoil in Jesus' name. And we're going to have a good report soon on this. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 I'm so excited this morning. Um, I just thank the Lord. The, the biggest miracle to me is salvation of a soul. And I had the privilege to ride in the back seat with a couple of young ladies. And one of them was baptized a couple of weeks ago here, Miranda. And she had a little friend with her named Demi. And they were talking about baptism. And I explained to uh, Demi about it. And she wanted to ask Jesus in her heart. And I'd like for you to welcome her. She's here this morning. Do you mind standing up, Demi? Welcome her to the kingdom of God. And y'all pray and agree that her whole household as well will come to the Lord in Jesus' name. And a couple, oh, I don't know how many weeks ago, uh, there was a little boy named Mike that y'all heard me talk about. It's a little evangelist that gets the little kids to come over to my house and I get them born again. And uh, the mothers are mad and daddies and so forth temporarily. They're temporarily uh, angry at me. And so he asked Thurman to pray, and uh, Thurman and uh, several of us got together. And, you know, where two or more come together, this power knocks off a lot of devils. So anyway, Mike said, would you please pray for my friend Jeremy, because his mother won't let him pray for, uh, play with him anymore. 
And I wanted him to come back, so we prayed. And a couple of days later, I was out in the yard, and there was Jeremy playing with Mike. And so I walked over there to him, and I said, Your mother won't let you come over here, but I can come over there. So I came over there and hugged him and talked to him some more and uh, told him, I said, Now, you know that God answered the prayer, and you're playing with Michael. And y'all, I said, Now, Ramona's going to love me. So y'all agree. The parents are going to love me and have favor with me. And I just give honor and glory to the king because I love him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, we're going to talk about the Word now. I'm going to make one last announcement. I just learned it just now. So it's handed me a piece of paper. One of the people of our church here, a, young, a man not very old, Michael Green. How many of you know Michael Green? He died last night. He died last night. Baylor Hospital. All I got to say about the situation, walk in love. Men, love your wives. I won't tell you what I know about that situation. All I got to say is walk in love. If you think opening the door, buying a lottery ticket, costs Billy a swollen knee, you get out of love relationship, it can cost you your life. I'm telling you folks, this is not a game we're playing on this earth. We're in a war. And I'm going to start out today in the scriptures. Today I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to you about the seriousness of unforgiveness. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to anoint me with the Holy Spirit and power. Give me the words. No, don't give me the words. Speak through me. You speak these words that come out of your word to these people, and then may your Holy Spirit convict everybody here of the seriousness of what we're supposed to walk in as your sons and daughters, that we're in a battle on this earth, and when we give legal right to the devil, he hates us with a passion, and he comes in to steal, kill, and to destroy. So help us to walk holy before you and to not step out of that love relationship so we can live to be old people, healthy old people. And we praise you and thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start out today in 1 Corinthians 2 9. <coughs> First Corinthians 2 9. Paul's making a statement here when you get a hold of this. You'll see something here if you're like, I, I don't know how many times I read this. said 1 Corinthians 2 9, I meant 2 Corinthians 2 9. We all know what, well, no, I'll take that back. We, are, we should know what 1 Corinthians 2 9 says. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things which God has prepared for those of us that will love Him. But verse 10, but He has revealed those things to us by His Spirit. So we, that's how we get it. So if He hasn't revealed it to you, you're not spending enough time with God. You need to spend some time with the Lord. So if you get in the Word, you'll learn these things. But I've read this scripture a lot of times, as I've done many other scriptures in the Word. 
and it didn't mean anything to me, sir. What, what do we got? In the name of Jesus. Satan, I rebuke you. I command you to loose him now. In the name of Jesus. Loose him. And set him free. Right now, in the name of Jesus, you devil of hell. Turn this boy loose. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, restore him. Make him whole. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. This is your boy? Casey, you're going to be okay. In Jesus' name. You're going to be okay. The devil. He can't do this in the name of Jesus. We rebuke you, you foul spirit of hell, and you keep your hands off of this boy. Is there any legal right that you know of, Mama, that's got any doors open? Okay. And in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. He's going to be okay. Stay there with him, Wendell. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. <clears throat> like I just said, this is not a game we're playing on this earth. This is serious stuff. And it's time the church learns who we are. We have been definitely ignorant of what's going on. I know I was most of my life. I played church most of my life. But I'm not there anymore. I'm through playing church. I now realize I'm a son of the king of the universe and there's a war going on. And there's a devil out here that knows the rules and he knows them perfect. And he is stealing, killing, and destroying far too many in the body of Christ. I want to expand just a minute of what happens. I think about what Pat said a while ago. These people in Nigeria, before I get into unforgiveness, I'm going to tell you something else. I got an email the other day from a supposedly a woman that was a woman of a very rich man that had died and she had a large inheritance and she wanted to send me to my ministry three million dollars three million dollars I mean I know God can do anything I don't have a problem if she wants to send me three million dollars so I sent her an email back and told her that would be fine go ahead and send it I told her that she could send, bring it to me or send it to me and everything. And so then she began to communicate with me. She said, well, I'm very sick myself, and I want you to pray for me. And so I wrote back and told her, ma'am, if you're sick, you're sinning, and you need to get over it. I said, if you quit sinning, if you quit lying, you won't be sick. 
I said, I run a healing ministry, and I know what causes sickness and disease. And so then they sent me, she sent her attorney to contact me. Because she said she couldn't contact me, so she sent her attorney. And he said, Mrs. So-and-so is really sick, and she wants to send you this money, and I need to know where to send it. So I began to communicate with these people. And immediately I got a check in my spirit. Something's wrong with this picture. So I'm listening. I'm paying attention to what's going on. And then as I'm dealing with these people, he finally says, okay, we're going to transmit the money to you to a, on a certain day. But he says, since the woman cannot, she's got sick and she cannot get to uh, whatever office it is, we need you to send us $4,500 so we can pay for the insurance and whatever on this to get this. And I told him back, I said, if she's got $3 million and she can't get the $4,500, I said, I'm t I know you're lying to me. And I said, I know this is a scam, so I'm speaking a curse over you and everybody. And I said, may everybody in your organization be afflicted by the devil and your feet knocked out money and every one of you made sick in the name of Jesus. I'll speak a curse. Did Paul speak a curse over that man that day he walked in? He said, you're a child of the devil. He said, may you be spoken, spoke blind, struck blind so you can't see. And what did God do? He struck him blind. I'm telling you, you've got to learn how to discern the spirits. And you've got to start realizing that we're in a war on this earth. And too many of us yield to the devil. And it's time we get to where we can hear from God. The church should get to the point where we have no sick people in it. But because of sin within the church, we've opened the door to the devil. Now, I want to read something here in 2 Corinthians 2. Now, this man that Paul's talking about here, they had turned him over to the devil in 1 Corinthians. But now then, they're going to bring him back. And he says, For to this end... Also did I write that I might know the proof of you, where, whether you be obedient in all things. All of us in the church need to be obedient in all things in the Word of God. Then he says, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person or the presence of Christ, lest Satan, listen to this verse now, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let me tell you, when it comes to unforgiveness, when I speak on unforgiveness, and I see people that are in the church get up and go over to someone and say, will you forgive me? Or just like the other night when I was out yonder on GLC, after we was off the air, there was many people there to be prayed for. So I wanted her to pray for a woman. She had all kinds of problems. I said, ma'am, you got a problem? You got all these problems? I said, what is your problem? And so we began to talk about her problem. And then I come to find out that her problem was unforgiveness, what we're going to talk about today. 
She had unforgiveness toward a bunch of doctors and nurses because her son died with a problem a couple of years ago. Just a young boy, but he died. And so here she is with an unforgiveness. I said, ma'am, you are never going to get healed until you forgive those people. And she said, I'm not going to forgive them. I said, well, I said, then you can't get healed. God absolutely will not heal you if you hold unforgiveness in your heart. I said, you have to forgive. She said, okay. I said, I'll forgive them, but I'll ask God to do something bad to them. And I lost my cool. I said, ma'am, I'm just going to tell you one time. I want you to listen close. I'm going to tell you if you don't forgive them, you're going to bust hell wide open. I said, the Word of God clearly says, Jesus himself said, if you do not forgive, neither will I forgive you your trespasses. And I'm going to tell you, when you stand before the king one day, when he says, okay, you held that unforgiveness toward those doctors and nurses. Now then, because you did not forgive them, I wrote in my word, neither will I forgive you into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you're going to spend eternity in hell because of what the grudge you've held against those people. I said, is it worth going to hell for? She said, I'm not going to hell. I said, you're going to hell. She said, well, I'm not forgiving. I said, okay, next person. I said, forget you, woman. I ain't got time to mess with somebody that won't act on the Word of God. I said, if you're not willing to act on God's Word, I said, well, would you pray for me? I said, no, I will not pray for you. I said, there ain't no use in me wasting my breath praying about something God told you to do so clear in His Word. I don't have to petition him to find out what he meant when he said, forgive or I will not forgive. I said, I don't have to ask him. I know what it says. I said, so if you're not willing to forgive those people, I'll never get you healed. So I said, next person, get this woman out of my sight. And so she said, okay, I'll forgive. I said, okay. Now we're getting somewhere. I'm fed up with it. You know, somebody come and said, would you please ask God to help me to tithe? I said, no, just start tithing. You don't have to ask me to pray for you. God says tithe or I'll put you under a curse. So, if you want to be under a curse, just don't tithe. It's that simple. You know, I ain't no use me praying about that. He made a statement of word. What I pray about ain't going to change God's word, not one bit. You know, if God told you to do something, all you got to do is act on the word. You don't have to pray about it. Act on it. Just like Billy and Don. What they did was they acted on the word. It's... It's very, it seems very insignificant that the little tiny things that we do that we don't even consider is sin. I think about the time when I got that fax that time, and a man says, have you read this fax? I said, well, I don't know. He said, here, he handed it to me. I looked at it, and this is what I said. Gee, if that were to happen, I wonder what would happen to me. Does that sound like a really a gross sin? No. But it was. Because when that fact said, if certain things were to happen within the corporation I was working for, if it did happen, they was going to close the engineering division, and I was director of engineering. I had a very good job with a very good income, and I enjoyed what I did. And I was a man of God, and I was walking holy before God, and I was seeing God do miracles and things all over the place. But right there that day, I sinned. Because Romans 14:23 says, anything I do that's not of faith is sin. And who are you supposed to trust as your provider? God or your company? God. 
Who was I trusting? My company. I was trusting the world system. Anything I have to do with the world is sin against God. So I sinned. Well, when I sinned, guess what? As soon as my shield of faith came down just a little bit, and Ephesians 6, 16, fiery dart of the devil hit me right in the head, went right under my helmet of salvation, hit me right in the head, and instantly in my vulnerable spot, I was instantly down with a splitting migraine headache and sinus fluid running out of my nostrils, and I fought that battle. I immediately repented. But I fought that battle with intensity for four days and nights before I kicked that beast out. I had to get rough with him. When I finally kicked him out, I was instantly healed. Is this a game we're playing? No, it's not. It's life and death. And the devil is taking us out right and left because he has legal right to us. Since he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, if the devil has nothing in you, he cannot touch you. But if you've got a sin in your life, he can. And this unforgiveness we're going to talk about here today is one of the most important things I've seen in the church today. People do not realize, like I didn't, I did not realize, I knew we were not supposed to hold a grudge, but I didn't realize the importance of holding a grudge, of what it does. But Paul starts out right here. Verse 10, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the presence or in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That's telling us something, isn't it, Fred? That's telling us something. Paul's saying if you hold an unforgiveness, a grudge against someone... You are opening a door to the devil. You're opening a door to the devil. Now then, how many people in the church do you know, or maybe even yourself, have held a grudge against someone? Maybe they've done something bad to you. Well, that doesn't make any difference. Whatever they've done, you need to turn them over to him that judges righteously, and you need to get rid of that. Because I want to take you back to some scriptures I looked up a bunch of scriptures, and I'm going to, I'm going to take this little outline that I made. I, just, I did this this morning when I got up, uh, and I went through this. And I'm going to take some of these scriptures, and we're going to look at these. And I want you to see the importance of walking holy before God. Now, this is just one area that we're going to talk about, just one. But this one area will open the door. Now, in uh, Matthew 6:13. That's the first place we're going to go. Matthew 6, 13. Now then, people wonder why we have all the problems that we have. See, we read this book, but we don't read it like it's written. Matthew 6, 13. Jesus is speaking. First of all, I, I will say, I'll just start out there in verse 11. He says, and give us this day our daily bread. Well, we would like to have that, wouldn't we? But most people don't even pray that. You know, we are so blessed in America, we, most of us don't have to even be concerned about where our next meal is coming from. We know where it's coming from because God has blessed us abundantly. But we should ask. Then he says in verse 11, after he says, Give us this day our daily bread. In verse 12 he says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
how would you like to be forgiven as you forgive? That's the way it's going to be, whether you believe it or like it or not. Because that's what the Word says. So since the Word says that, then the verse 13, the Lord says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Look what he says in verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, for if you forgive men their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How many of you in this room besides me want to be forgiven for everything? I'm telling you. If you don't want to be forgiven, then go ahead and hold a grudge. If you want to open the door to the devil to come in and torment you and kill you, just hold a grudge. I mean, the devil, the, the, the closer you walk with God, the closer he's going to hold you accountable to these scriptures. You get that too, don't you, Bo? Now, if you're, if you're not a very active person in the kingdom of God, I'll tell you what you could see if you could see this in the spirit world. We walk down a street, downtown Dallas. People, several people walking up and down the street. If you could see the spiritual activity around those people, you would see that some of those people have absolutely zero demonic activity around them, and there's no angels around them. They're just out there. And then you might walk by one, and there's two or three demons and two or three angels walking along beside this one. Hmm, you wonder why? He's got two or three of each, and then all of a sudden you see one man coming down the street, and there's a herd of angels around him, and there's a herd of demons around him. You think, now why in the world is that the case? So you go and you interview these people. The ones that have no demons, you say, are you a Christian? Nah, I don't believe in that junk. You go to church? Oh, no, I never went to church. Now you know why there's nothing around them, right? They're no threat to the kingdom at all. Then you find one that's got two or three angels and two or three demons. And they say, oh, yeah, 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 I, I, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I, I, I'm not, you know, I don't go to church, but, you know, two or three times a year, you know. This is a little demonic activity. But that one that was walking down the street with all that herd of stuff, this guy's walking down the street, he's praising the Lord. He's got his hands raised. Glory to God. You a Christian? You know Jesus today? Praise the Lord. What's going on? Boy, stop gas station. Some guy's over getting a... Hey, you know Jesus? Boy, I'm telling you, there's demonic activity around that guy. There's angels all around him because there is a war going on around that man. The devils are there to kill that man or that woman. And God sent his angels to protect you. So you better make sure if you're one of those that you're walking holy before God. Because if you're not walking holy before God, these ways, Paul said, we are not ignorant of the devil's ways. You make a little mistake and you watch and see what the devil's going to do to you. You know something I hear about people that come to this church? I hear people, there's churches all over this metroplex that they can go to every day. Every Sunday, they never get a migraine headache when they start to go to church. There's never a problem keeping them away from the church. But you don't know how many of the things I hear about people say, when I started to come to this church, I got a splitting migraine headache and I couldn't stand it. But I went, came anyway. Some of them said I couldn't make it, I went home. 
Some of them said, or I got the worst pain in my leg or the worst pain in my back I ever had in my life. I was going to come to this healing school, and I woke up this morning, I was hurting so bad I couldn't even drive the car. You ever wonder why? You ever wonder why? We know why, don't we, Fred? The devil, if he's got legal right to you, he don't want you down here. Because when he, know, he knows when you come here, it's going to be just like that night. I don't even know who it was. I think Jan was here that night. I don't even know who else was here. But one afternoon after all the chairs had moved back, I'm praying for people, and I looked over here, and there's a woman laying right over there on the floor, face right down on the floor. And I know there was three or four or five people around her, and she was just laying prostrate over their face right down on the floor. And I looked at her, and I said, what's going on? And I started over there, and right out of the mouth of that woman laying on the floor, she said, I hate that voice. She makes me listen to those tapes day in and day out. I hate that voice. Is that what happened, Jan? That's what happened. Now, who was it speaking out of that woman's mouth laying there on the floor? A devil. A devil. That woman was feeding herself with our information, which is the Word of God, and that demon in her hated for her to listen to that. Now, when that devil gets into you, that's who had that woman laying there on the floor. That's just like that night that Wally and me and a few other people was here when I was sitting right here in a chair ministering to a woman, and I said something about getting her delivered, and I looked up at her, and I could tell she had a problem, so I commanded the devil to leave her in the name of Jesus. I wasn't very forceful. I just put my hands on her shoulders and demanded the devil to leave. She just kind of rolled her head around like that. Nothing happened. I said, are you all right? She said, I, I just something, something not right. So I just reached up and grabbed her and shook her one time. And I said, look me now, you devil of hell. I said, come out of her. Boy, when I did, that woman kicked her foot up. And she put her foot against right in my crotch and hit my seat rail right there. And she kicked. And I'm telling you, that chair was sitting right there and her sitting right there. And there was nothing on that, holding that chair down except the floor right there. But I guarantee I had an angel behind that chair because she kicked my chair and it never moved. And she flew all the way into that curtain right over yonder. Her chair went all the way across this room. And then I got up and ran over there and grabbed her. And that woman jumped out of there and began to kick and scream and cuss and everything imaginable. And I finally screamed at Wally. I said, Wally, get over here and help me. So he come over here. He come over and grabbed her feet. And me and him went through a war. And when we got through and got the demons kicked out of that woman and got her normal, there was two or three four other men standing right here watching. And after we got her delivered and she left... I said, wow, that was a pretty intensive 10 minutes we had. He said, what do you mean 10 minutes? He said, you and Folly was over on the floor 45 minutes with that woman. <laughs> Time sure does go by when you're having fun. <laughs> you see where I'm coming from? A normal Sunday afternoon at church. A normal Sunday afternoon in this church, but that's not a normal Sunday afternoon in the average church. Most demons don't manifest in church, but they do here. Have you ever wondered why? They don't like it here. Now then, this unforgiveness. Okay, right quick. What she? What happened to her? Reason why she's this way, or was the way she was with all them demons in her, because she came up with a bad family background. I won't go into the details, but one of the things that was wrong with her, even though she's been through many deliverances. Well, she had unforgiveness toward her husband. Oh, okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. 
Now, if you have unforgiveness towards someone, and somebody says, well, but look what her husband did to her, you know, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Now then, what did the Lord say right here in, in Matthew 6, 13 through 15? If you do not forgive, what's he going to do? That's pretty clear, isn't it, Jack? You just can't hardly, you just can't hardly beat that, can you? So now then, do we need to pray and ask God if it's his will for us to forgive somebody? No. We know what his will is, don't we? Forgive. He said, now, it's clear, if you do not forgive them, what will I do? I will not forgive you. Let's, let's face it. Do you think it's possible for you to go to heaven if you're not forgiven by God? I don't either. Is holding a grudge against someone worth you living in hell on earth for for all of your life and then dying and going to hell and living in hell in the flames of the pit of hell forever? Now, ain't nothing nobody can do to me worth that. You understand that, right, Frank? Like I said, if you want to find out if you think you can stand that, this afternoon when you get home, if you have an electric stove, turn it on high till they turn red. If you have a gas stove, turn it on high till the burner is burning. And then put your time clock up there. And I'm not going to ask you to stay there very long. Only five seconds. I want you to put a time clock, hit the button, and it says 1,001. 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, 1,005. And you hold your fire, your finger on that red hot deal or you hold your finger in that flame for those five seconds and then see if you can forgive your brother. I think that will get your attention because that's just going to be teeny tiny compared to what you're going to suffer forever. Is anything anybody does to you worth that? Not to me. But not only is it not worth it then, but you're giving the devil legal right to you here now. And that's what's so devastating. People don't know this. They just, they, they've read this, but they don't believe it. Now, the, the next place I want to go here is the, the most intensive scripture about this that I have ever seen on, on this. And it's Matthew 18. I've taught this many times, but today this message is totally going to be unforgiveness. So this is Matthew chapter 18, starting verse 21. This is where we get this. This is where the majority of these, this information is found about what makes us sick. I have had so many experiences with people since I've learned these scriptures in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I have seen numerous people in the hospital on their deathbed with terminal illnesses and their problem. Christian people I'm talking about that were in there because of unforgiveness. And every one of them now that has forgiven has gotten well. But only two of them, out of the whole bunch, two of them would not forgive, and both those men died. One of them died in three days, and the other one died in 12 hours. In fact, that one man that would not forgive, which he said he forgave. Now, see, you can't lie to God. See, I asked this man and woman... And, and his brother was there that day. I began to teach them the word. Here he is late at home. They'd sent him home to die. And a friend of his asked me to come over there. And I come over to the house. And I sat there and ministered to him hour, hour and a half. And I began to build his faith. I said, now, sir, if, do you have any unforgiveness toward anyone? And when I said that, immediately he turned and looked at his wife. And she turned and looked at his brother. 
That automatically told me something's wrong. Now, what? I don't know. I said, do we have a problem here I need to know about? Uh, she said, well, we did have some unforgiveness, but we got it all taken care of. I said, ma'am, this is not a game I play. This is serious stuff. I said, are you sure the unforgiveness is taken care of? She said, yes. I looked at him. I said, are you sure? He kind of nodded his head because he was very weak. I said, okay. You cannot lie to God. You can tell me anything. And except God reveal it to me, I don't know. But I said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to lay my hands on you and I'm going to rebuke this devil. And if you told me the truth, you're going to get well. I said, if you lied to me, you're going to die. I said, is it taken care of? She said, yes. I laid hands on him, rebuked the devil, prayed for him, left. Twelve hours later, he was dead. So the man that asked me to go over there, I told him, I said, you're the, you're the friend of the family. I don't know him, so I'm not going back over there. I said, you go over and find out what that unforgiveness is. He came to see me a couple of days later, and he said, Thurman, the man's mother died three months ago. She was a fairly wealthy woman. I said, one of the brothers had taken $800,000 out of her bank account and put it in his. And he said, there's a lawsuit between the whole family. Isn't it amazing what money does? Stupid little pieces of paper. $800,000 worth of money. Yeah, you can do some wonderful things with $800,000, but what are you going to do with it in hell? They ain't going to buy you a bottle of water. You're going to be begging for cold water, right? Have you, do you know of another man that was in hell that begged somebody to go tip his finger in cold water and put it on his tongue because he is in agony in his flame? Yeah. But did he get it? No, he didn't get it. And you won't get it either. Somebody says, but I'm washed in the blood. Don't you put God to the test. In fact, Saturday night, Friday night, was it Friday night, a pastor, 30-year pastor, heard me make that statement on GLC. And he called me and said, you are the only human being I have ever seen that has that revelation. He said, I made that statement in a church about 10 years ago and said, they threw me out of the church. I said, well, I understand. I said, because it's the devil. The devil's there. You were telling them the truth and they didn't want to hear it. So I said, the devil's what threw you out. But anyway, as we talked... He asked me, he, as we talked about the revelation God has given me from his word, he said, there's no doubt after what I heard, God has raised you up in these last days to bring his church to holiness. Amen. I said, well, I believe he's raising a bunch of us up for that, but that's definitely what he's called me to do, to bring his church to holiness and perfection because he's coming for a bride that's chaste and clean and pure. And so he's purifying us. Now, I'm going to tell you, those of the, you that listen, that are ready when the king comes, you'll get to go with him. If you're not ready, he's going to leave you here. He's going to leave you here. I don't know about you, but I want to be holy and pure and clean. I want to be the chaste virgin that he comes for. I don't want to be one of those prostitutes. I want to be a holy, clean person for the king. But look what he says in Matthew 20, 18, 21. As Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
till seven times. Peter thought he was really being lenient there seven times. But Jesus said to him, I say not unto thee unto seven times, but unto thee seventy times seven. Wow, Peter thought he's going to do really something here, and Jesus made it seventy times seven. That is awesome. And then he says, let me tell you a story, Peter. This is why. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. Now, the kingdom of heaven, where is the kingdom of heaven today? It's right here in you and me. The kingdom of heaven is in you and me. Where is the kingdom of God? Now, the kingdom of God is in the third heaven. The kingdom of God is in the third heaven, but the kingdom of heaven is... The kingdom of heaven is right here today. It's in you and me. We're here on earth. And the kingdom of heaven has come into us. So we're walking here on the earth today. Now look what the Lord says here. As he said, the kingdom of heaven is likened under a certain king. So he's telling us a parable or a story about what it's going to be like with us. Now look at what he says. And when he, the king, had taken, had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him. 10,000 talents. Now, that depends on which translation you're reading as to how much money that is. But this particular translation in the King James here, it says if it was silver, it's $3.84 billion. That's pretty big debt, isn't it, Sheriff? A little bit more money than you and me make per week, right, girl? Yeah, a little bit. Now, most of us put together, we'd probably come up with that much, but, you know. Lord, forgive me for lying there, Lord. A little bit of a joke there. I'm telling you, this is a chunk of money, isn't it, uh, Jack? $3.84 billion. I mean, if I owed that much money. I mean, there ain't no way. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know how in the world anybody could ever get in that kind of a, of a debt. I, I just don't know anybody that lives in those kind of realms at all. But what he's trying to say, this is what I owe the king. My sin, this is what I owe him. And is there any way I can pay that debt? No, there ain't no way I can pay this debt. But this guy couldn't pay this either. He said he owed him 10,000 talents. And I've used many times, I've just said $10 million because, you know, any way you look at it, that's a big chunk of money. But verse 25 says, But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. Now, here is something that people read over and miss. For the debt, who was going to have to be accountable for the debt? Look who, look who it was. As far as, as, as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him, the man, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, which means his bank account, his car, his truck, his airplane, his boat, you know, his yacht, you know, his, his uh, 401k. You know, his, uh, everything he had. And he said, and all that he had was going to be sold and payment to be made. Now, chances are, if this guy owed 10,000 talents or $3.8 billion, he had some pretty good assets. And probably didn't live in a little dinky $100,000 house like some of us do. You know, or maybe a $50,000 house. He probably didn't live in a $5 million house. You know, I've been out and looked at some houses that cost three-quarters of a million or a million. That's other people, 
you know, that had money that wanted to buy one of those, never would I build one of those or buy one of those, never, because the taxes are too high. Never would I go there. But if you find a man that's worth that kind of money, you take one of these uh, guys that uh, own some of this big stuff or maybe a, uh, some of these fancy uh, football players that makes millions of dollars, isn't it amazing how they don't live in a little $150,000, $200,000 house? You know, if you got $40 million a year, what do they normally do? They spend it, all of it. And then they play football or whatever for four, five, or six years and get $10, 20 30 $40 million. And then at the end of the time, which most of them are not Christians, maybe some of them are, but it's amazing how a man can make that kind of money for five or six or seven years. And then when it's over, he ain't got enough money to pay his taxes and he's broke. That happens to those people all the time. But this man, he couldn't pay either. And he had all this debt. It says, the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him. That's a good place to start if you owe somebody that kind of money and you can't pay. That man fell down and worshipped. And then he says, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you all. He must have been quite a man of means to even have an idea he could pay back that kind of money. He was not a little bitty low under the table dealer, was he, Fred? He was a big time boy. There's no two ways about it. But look what happened. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him or set him free, released him, and forgave him that huge debt. Must have been a, the, the, the Lord of that servant must have been a pretty well-to-do man, you know it? First of all, to get in debt to one man that much, he had to have some serious money. And for a man to forgive you that much, he had to really be a man of means. But this is where we are. This is our Lord. This is what he's able to do. And so it says there, after the Lord was moved with compassion and loosed him from all that debt. And then it says, I'm sure this guy had to be happy. I know I would be. If I owed a debt that big and all of a sudden everything I've got now, is, it's okay, it's mine. That big, beautiful house and those cars and yachts. and You know he had everything, didn't he, Frank? Had to have, have that kind of money. I mean, ain't nobody today that's got $3.84 billion that hadn't got houses and things everywhere all over the place and ships and yachts and, you know, down in the Gulf Coast and everything. They got everything. And everything was going to be taken away, and now all of a sudden he's got everything, and it's all free and clear. That's where everybody wants to live. But look what this guy did. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who had owed him a hundred pence. In other words, just a little pocket change. Just a few lousy dollars. And look what he did to this guy. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. Can you imagine Let's say down here, Frank's sitting here on the front row. I use him as an example. Say Frank owed me $100. And he'd owed it to me for two or three weeks, and he told me he's going to pay it to me in, say, two or three weeks. But maybe he's a day past due, and he hadn't paid me, and I'll run up to him and grab him by the throat and start choking and say, Frank, pay me that $100 you owe me. Can you imagine a man treating another man like that? I really can't. But this guy here for sure. He laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And look what that servant did. 
And that fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Is that the same thing that the other man did? Yeah, he did the same thing. But this guy would not. But he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Really a guy of compassion, wasn't he? So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and told him their Lord, come and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, look what he called him, O you wicked servant. I forgave you all that huge debt because you asked me or desired me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And the Lord was wroth or angry. You want to tick off the king? Just get into unforgiveness towards someone. You'll tick him off. And look what he says. And his Lord was angry, and the Lord delivered him to the tormentors or to the devil, until he should pay all that was due unto him. Now, who delivered him to the devil? The Lord. If you get a demon in somebody because of unforgiveness, who sent him? The Lord. Now then, if the Lord sends a demon into you because you're holding unforgiveness against someone, and you come down with terminal sickness or disease, and you're down with that terminal sickness and disease because you've got a grudge against someone, and a demon is in there killing your flesh because the Lord sent him, what do you think the chances are of me casting him out? Zero. In fact, the Lord spoke that to me one time, a woman. I had a woman. I walked in to this home. This woman that had... uh, a full hysterectomy already. She had back cramps, all kinds of cramps, all kinds of problems. And the doctors couldn't figure out what's wrong with it until you learn what the problems are in America or in the world. And the problems are spiritual. The spiritual problems is what causes the physical problems. If you have no, phys- no spiritual problems, you have no physical problems. Until the devil gets legal right to you, you don't have a problem. And you don't have a problem as long as you're walking holy before God. But I went to a home one time on a Sunday. A Baptist preacher called me on Sunday morning about 7 o'clock and said, Thurman, i got a woman down here, and I know you've got more spiritual knowledge in this area than I do about healing. And said, i got a woman that she's already been had surgery, had a full hysterectomy, everything, and she's still got her cramps and she's got serious problems. He said, will you come down here? This afternoon to meet me after church at 2 o'clock at a certain place in Fort Worth, and we'll go over to their home. I said, I'll do it. I got down there. We walked into this home. I did not know these people. I'd never seen the woman and the, and the children at all. I walked into this house, and I met everybody, four boys, husband, sister, brother-in-law. But the lady was not there. I said, where is she? They said she's back in the bedroom, and she's got all the window blinds closed, and she's got the lights turned off, and she don't want to come out. Darkness. That automatically tells you something, doesn't it? 
The devil's here. So I prayed and rebuked the devil, commanded him to get his hands off of her, and I said, now go back and get her and bring her out. They went back and got her and brought her out. Her husband was on her left arm, her sister on her right arm. When they walked through the archway coming in, this woman was all folded down like that with a long black hair hanging down in her face. And the first thing she started screaming was, I hate you. I hate you. I mean I'll hurt you. I don't want you in my home. I'm going to tell you, a normal Southern Baptist deacon would have been offended and he'd have left. But I'm not a normal Southern Baptist deacon no more. Praise God. I realize the battle that's going on. I said, bring that woman over and set her down right there in that chair. I brought that woman over and set her down. I knelt down in front of her and I reached up to touch her hair to move it out of her face so I could see her face. And she slapped my hand. She said, I hate you. Don't you touch me. I'll hurt you. I said, woman, what you need is Jesus Christ. She said, no, I don't want nothing to do with him. I don't want nothing to do with him. I asked her, asked the husband, and I said, do you know who your woman hurt? Who, first of all, I first and after that, I said, you devil of hell, you de- demon of anger and rage, I command you to come out of her. And he said, no, I'm not coming out. I have legal right to be here. I thought, you have legal right to be here? I thought, Lord, what is this? And the Lord says, he's there because I sent him. Now, how would you like to be a woman with a demon in you that's been sent there by God? I said, Lord, you sent him? Well, what did he say right there? Verse 34, And the Lord was angry, and he delivered him to the tormentors. Who delivered you to the tormentor if you have unforgiveness? The Lord. So what do you think the chances are of a deliverance ministry getting you set free? Zero. Now then, I know that this devil's here by legal claim, so I look over to her husband. I said, you have any idea who your wife hates? He said, oh, yeah. It's real simple. Her first husband said he married her, had these two oldest boys. When the second one was born, he ran off and left her holding the bag with them two babies and said she has hated him with a passion ever since. Although she didn't know what she was doing, had she hurt the man? Not at all. Who had she hurt? Herself. Herself. She was holding a grudge. Here this woman was tormented. The devil was having a heyday with this woman. I mean, it was awful what he was doing to this woman. She'd been through all this surgery and everything and no better. I told her, I said, ma'am, I said, you devil of hell, I rebuke you and command you to stop talking. Now I'm going to talk to this woman. I said, woman, you've got to forgive your past husband from your heart. And she said, I I can't. There's just no way I could ever forgive him. I said, ma'am, that man has ruined your life. And if you allow him, he's going to ruin the rest of your life. And I said, not only that, but I said, you will die and go to hell. She said, well, I just can't forgive him. I said, sure you can't. I said, it's an act of your will. I said, all you've got to do is make a decision of your will. I will forgive him for what he done. I said, if you will and you'll do that, then I can get you set free. So I said, let's do it. She said, well, I don't know how to do that. I said, I'll lead you. I started leading her in a prayer. And I did, as I did, that devil would grab a hold of her tongue, and I had to drag every syllable out of that woman's mouth, one syllable at a time. But I finally got them all out. And when I did, I said, now then, devil, you have no more legal claim to this woman. I said, she has forgiven her husband 
from her heart. It's an act of her will. I said, now you devil of hell, I command you to come out of her and go to the pit and never enter again in Jesus' name. And that devil left just like that. I mean, he didn't say a word. He just left. Her, she throwed her head up. Her eyes cleared, and she looked at me, and I said, Now, woman, what you need is Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that woman says, Yes, yes, I want to be saved. Now, isn't that amazing? The devil was in there. Jesus said clearly in his word, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, If there's any lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded their mind to the gospel. If he's in you legally, I mean, you're in trouble. If he's in there because God sent him in there. But is that what that scripture said in verse 34? Verse 34 said, the Lord will send a devil to you? Is that what he said? Do you think then maybe we ought to get over forgiveness? And we ought to start saying, hey, there ain't nothing, 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 nothing you can do to me. It's going to make me angry at you. Never, right, Frank? I don't care what you do to me. I don't give you take me down. I had a man one time walk in my office. He said, Thurman Scrivener, I believe if somebody walked in this office, reached up and grabbed you by the nap of the neck and just punched you right in the face and knocked you over, and you're laying there in your own pool of blood, I believe you'd get up and say, hey, brother, what's going on? Let me forgive you for that. <laughs> now, why would I do that? Because that little bitty punch you hit me, I might lose a little blood or even get a bone broken. It ain't worth the consequences of where I would go, is it, Frank? No. See, I knew that. So, I'm going to tell you what. If the Lord turns you over to the devil, you're in trouble. Now, it ain't going to do no good for you to go to a deliverance ministry to try to get set free if you've been turned over to the devil by the Lord. I have had people that would not forgive their mates for something, and I've seen them within three months, six months, or a year, or a year and a half, I've seen people come down with a stroke. All because they would not forgive their mate. And until I learned these principles, I used to under, not understand why. Why do certain things happen to certain people? Some people have sickness and disease, and some go through life, and it seems like everything they touch turns to gold. They never have any sickness and disease. They drive nice cars, and they're just blessed in everything they do. I guess it's just a coincidence. But when I began to read this book in detail, I found out there was no coincidence on this earth. It's either curses or blessings. And you know who makes the choice? You do. If you walk holy before God, walking in obedience to His Word... In everything he says, no devil can have legal right to you. But if you go around flapping your lip, talking evil about somebody, in fact, just the other day, I went to a funeral of a woman that was in her early 50s. And one of the things that I had remembered about this woman she always, her husband used to say how she used to run the preacher down on Sunday after they left church on the way home. How she used to talk evil about the pastor. To them that would have a long life and see good days, First Peter chapter 3, verse 10, must keep their tongue from speaking evil about others. Do you think that really means what it says? 
Do you think that what you say out of your mouth can shorten your life or increase your life? If you believe this book, it can't. Does that mean that next time somebody comes over to you and say, Hey, I don't like what so-and-so did, and starts talking evil about somebody, you know what the best thing you could do? Say, why don't we talk about something else? It'd be safer to turn on the soap opera and watch a little of it. And that's not a good place to go either, is it? No. So don't go there either. But don't talk evil about someone. Because the Word of God says, if you want to have good days and see a long life, you must re refrain your lips from talking evil about others. Do you think God really meant that? Then why is it so many people in the church talk about so many people in the church? Huh? Why do we do it? Well, it must be because we don't know, right? I think that's a problem. Because if you believe these things, you would never talk evil about no one. Somebody said, well, you know, I'm going to have sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. I'm going to have him over. We're going to sit here and have a cup of tea, and I'm going to tell him what I don't like about certain, certain preacher. Or somebody else. It may be the guy at work. You know, let's just talk. And Well, they just talk evil about it, and I'm going to get evil on that guy. And I know none of you all ever seen this sign like I have that says, I don't hold a grudge. I just get even. Anybody ever seen that little sign on the back of a car? Ooh, let me tell you. What does that say? That person's treading on thin ice. Now then, look what verse 35 says. Not only verse 34 says that the Lord was angry. In other words, you ticked him off. The king, you made the king angry. And if there's anybody I don't want to make angry, it's the king. I mean, you know, you might make me angry and I might not be able to do much to you. But do you know all the king's got to do is just say, and it's over. Now, I don't really want to be taken out like that, you know, and then have to stand in his presence and he says, you know, you messed up big time right there. You know, I've heard, I've heard pastors say, and they don't want to hurt people's feelings, but I heard pastors say, the Lord spoke to me and told me to tell brother so-and-so to stop doing what he's doing or he's not going to live but three more years. And I've had some pastors say, I wouldn't tell them because I just couldn't do that. But you know what happens when God tells you to say something like that and you don't do it? You know you're treading on thin ice? That's just like when my son asked me, said, when I said, son, I'm getting married. He said, dad, I didn't know you were going with nobody. I said, I'm not. <laughs> then what do you mean getting married? I said, God told me to marry a woman. I said, I asked her to marry me. Dad, have you ever went with her? No. Never went with her. But God told me to marry her, so I asked her, and she accepted. It's not exactly the normal way that we do business, is it? When I told Cheryl, I said, we, we, several times we was talking about getting married. She said, well, why did you marry me? I said, simple, God told me to. <laughs> That's why I asked you. I, I mean, I didn't ask you nothing. I just said, Lord, you tell me that this woman's going to be my wife. And, of course, he had told her the day before she was going to be my wife. And so when the Lord's working on both ends, that's why she could, when I asked her to marry me, I never, never held her hand, as some of you know. But let me tell you, that's just like some of you out here today, some of you men and women in this place today. If God were to speak to you like he did Cheryl and I that day, you don't argue with God. 
I mean, if, if you, you can if you want to. And I have done that in the past a few times. I mean, I think of the day the Lord spoke to me. I hear I'm laying here on the ground working on a truck on Saturday afternoon. And I've sent my son down with his little pickup to dump a bunch of trash. And I'm sitting, laying there underneath that truck on Saturday afternoon. And all of a sudden the Lord speaks to me in an audible voice. He said, son, you better go check on Timothy. I thought, Lord, check on Timothy. I mean, I just sent him down to the dump to empty the trash. And then I thought, what am I doing, arguing with you? Let me go check on Timothy. So I jumped out my other truck. Isn't it amazing how dense we are? You know, now Cheryl, she might have come out there and say, honey, I need you to come do this. I said, well, just a few minutes. I got this to do first, and then I'll come do it. But if God comes and says, go do something, you better not ask any questions. You just go do what he says. So I jumped and run out there and looked over the hill, and sure enough, Tim was down there, and that little truck, he'd got it stuck, and the catalytic converter had got hot, and that big old tall grass underneath there, and that little truck was burning all around it. Now, then, what if I had said, oh, that's okay, God, you know, I mean, I, he'll be okay. We would have lost the truck. But by being obedient, I went running down there, and we put that little truck out and saved it, and he drove that little truck ten years. When God speaks to you, especially when you hear him speak in an authoritative, audible voice, and if you want to hear his voice, let me tell you how to hear it. What did the Lord say? You draw nigh to me, and I will draw nigh to you. If I want to hear Cheryl speak to me, you know, you know the best way to hear her and hear her clear? Be right close to her. Be looking her right in the face. Honey, you got something to say to me? Yeah. See? Be real close. Be real close. So she'll have to talk very loud. But what if I'm out here in the middle of this street where traffic's running up and down, and God's in here and he's saying, Son, 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 I got something for you to do. You think if you're out there in the middle of the street on the other side of that wall, you can hear that? Absolutely not. Yet it's coming over a PA system and everything, but they don't hear it. That's what's wrong with us. We are so far from God, we don't spend any time with Him, we're not intimate with Him, so we're not drawing near to Him, so He's over there where He is, and we're way out here somewhere, and He's saying, hey, Thurman, I need you to do this, but I'm not hearing Him. But look what the Lord says He will do here if you don't do what you're supposed to in forgiveness. After He says the Lord was angry and delivered him or turned him over to the tormentor, the devil. And he's going to turn him over to the devil until he should pay all that was due. Now, if this man couldn't pay the 10,000 talents working, healthy, how's he going to pay it afflicted and put into stretchers by the devil? He ain't never going to get it paid. You're going to suffer. You're going to have a short life. And you're going to die prematurely. And look at what verse 35 says. So he's telling Peter, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your heart forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Now let's think about how serious or significant unforgiveness is. I want you to turn to Mark 11. And I want you to see here that two of the most powerful promises in the Word of God has been given to us. And then he tells us what will make these scriptures not work for you. 
Mark 11:22, and Jesus answered unto them, saying, "Have faith in God." Okay, so so far it seems like all you got to do is have faith in God. You got to believe His promises and trust Him. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now let me tell you, that is a blank check to the church. Isn't it, Fred? A blank check. And then he goes and puts a double whammy on the back of that for the guys. For us men that are a little hard to get through. Now the women got that all the first time through. Because their right and left brain works together instantly. Us guys don't have that privilege. So, you know, I mean, it's just the way we were born, you know, with brain damage. That's just the way God made us. And so it's just a fact of life. And therefore, now, he didn't just do it to some guys. He did it to every guy. You know, so every guy has that brain damage. And you girls, praise God, y'all don't have that problem. So that's why we should listen to y'all far more than we do instead of us trying to be so hard-headed. But therefore, in verse 34, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Now that is one awesome promise, isn't it, Miss Betty? That is an awesome promise. What will that get you? Anything. Whatsoever you desire. When you pray, believe, and it's yours. I mean, the, the Lord gave the church a blank check. He gave us many blank checks. But look what he says right after that in verse 25. And when you stand praying, forgive. Forgive. If you have aught or anything against any, that your Father, also which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Now, if you have an NIV, you don't have the next verse. But if you've got a King James or some other translations, the next verse is very, very, very important. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. If you do not forgive, now let's think of the seriousness of what we're talking about here. If you're holding a grudge against anybody for anything, and let's, let's just take a man uh, that his wife, let's say this man was meaner than Satan himself to his wife. So he beat her, abused her, and everything else, and then just mistreated her every way in the world, and then left her with, every, with two kids and nobody, to, nothing to support her or nothing. And it's, you would think if there would be anybody in the world could hold a grudge and hold it legally, it would be that woman, wouldn't it? But if she holds that grudge against that man, who is she going to hurt? Herself and who else? Those children. Now surely, surely, Terry, that couldn't be true. Uh, you wish it wasn't. But you know how true it was, don't you, girl? Because you lived there several years, didn't you? The devil beat up on Terry, beat up on her family, beat up on her and her husband, and your children. Did the Word of God say He would do that? Is He, is he any respecter of persons? I mean, this precious lady sitting up here on the front, you would think this beautiful, precious lady with a precious husband like Frank and all these beautiful, precious kids they got, surely God would be more merciful to her than He would somebody else. That worked that way. 
It didn't work that way. Wow. You better you have to do it God's way. When you did it his way, it worked out good. Oh, totally changed her life. See, they had been to counseling. They had done all kinds of things. She thought she had a legal right because of some little dumb thing her husband did to her. So for years, she held an unforgiveness toward her husband. He kept her and the family tore up and the kids sick. And when she finally heard me teach on this, she got right with God. She got right with her husband. And that family's been reconciled. And the last year of their life has been the best life, best year they've ever had in their life. Now, see, whose legal right did they take away from that family? The devil. When the devil's in your house, do you think you're going to enjoy living? No. Now then, if the devil's in your house, think of the women today that try to rule over their husbands. When the husband tries to, when the woman tries to take authority and rule over the husband, you're in sin. The woman is supposed to submit to a godly man. So if the woman's trying to take authority and rule the house and do things her way, instead of listening to her husband, then she's sinning. Now, what if the man's not taking the spiritual authority to rule the house like he's supposed to? He's sinning too. God made a set of rules, and he's no respecter of persons. When you get a hold of what we're supposed to do in the church as men and women, what we're supposed to do, and the love relationship we're supposed to walk in, when you realize the king is in control... When you really get hold of this fact, guys, you'll love your wife. And you women will submit to that loving man. You'll do what you're supposed to. Because God is no respecter of persons. And just look at this little tiny sin that I committed that time when I made this statement. When I said, if this happens, what might happen to me? And in one heartbeat, I let my shield of faith down. And a flaming dart from the evil one hit me. Right in the head, and in one heartbeat, I had a splitting migraine headache and sinus fluid running out of both nostrils off my chin before I could get to a clinic. And here I am, a man of God, walking in the gifts of the Spirit, and I make one little tiny mistake. But did God say to them that he's given much? He holds you really more accountable. It's scary, isn't it? So do you think God expects his kids to straighten their act up and fly right? Yes. If you want to walk in divine health, you'll do it. If you get off into a tangent doing something evil, all you need to do, guys, is be a man of God, learning these things and walking holy, and then get into a state of abusing your wife. You may think, nobody knows we're at home, and I've got upset at her tonight, and I'm going to scream at her. And maybe you even got upset enough at her to hit her. If you did, I'm going to tell you, you're in trouble. You better fall on your knees and repent. Because did you know, I think about this man of God that I sat in a restaurant with just here several months ago. I had just been to Europe. Has a great big ministry. And he and I were sitting there talking together, having dinner one evening. And we were talking about some of these things. And he said, Thurman, you know, I was just over in Europe, and I was over three weeks. I was preaching every night. He said, when I came in, I expected the yard to be mowed and said it hadn't been. And so when I went in, he said, I was tired and wore out. And I, as we got to talking, he said, instead of being loving and kind like I should have, one of my first questions with my wife was, why didn't you mow the yard? 
And she said, honey, I didn't have time. I've been busy. So he said, I got really upset at her. Isn't it stupid? He got really upset. Instead of sitting there and talking to her and finding out what the problem was and trying to resolve it, he just got upset and raised his voice and said, that's okay, then I'll just go outside and mow it myself. So he's tired and everything else. He's been traveling for three weeks. He goes outside, gets a lot more out, makes one round, picks up a piece of steel in the yard, slings it through his leg, and they have to take him to the a doctor, and they take nine stitches in his leg. And on the way back, he makes a fatal mistake. Lord, why did this happen to me? Don't ever ask unless you want to know. And the Lord spoke to him and told him, because of the way you treated your wife, you opened the door to the devil. And he came in and did that to you. Now, isn't that a, a big minister running a big ministry? God upset at his life. He would have think, surely God would be more merciful with him than he would a guy with a little bitty ministry like me. Wouldn't you? Nope. He's no respecter of persons. He makes no difference. He treats every one of us exactly the same. So what is the moral of the story? Love your wife. Wife, be in subjection to your husband. Is there any such thing... Is there any such thing as an unforgiveness that you can hold legally as a church, as a child of God? Absolutely none. There's not anything anybody can do that can do something to you where you can legally hold a grudge. If you do, what's the Lord going to do to you? He'll turn you over to the devil. If the Lord turns you over to the devil and you come down sick and afflicted, did the Lord also say that there is a, even a sin unto death? Did he really say that? Yes, he did. If there is a sin unto death in 1 John 5, and there really is a sin unto death, and we don't really know what that sin is, then when you sin, that might be for you the sin unto death. Wouldn't that be sad? I mean, here you're 30 years old or 50 years old or whatever, and all of a sudden you do something and it happens to be for you the sin unto death. Do you remember in the book of Acts where Ananias and Sapphira just kind of lied to the Holy Spirit? I mean, just a little simple lie, wasn't it? I mean, they just lied. Was it a sin unto death? For both of them. I've said it many a time, you know, if God was to do something like that, somebody was to come up here and tell something or whatever, and somebody said, you know, I don't really think that's true. And they have a little disagreement over that, and both of them were to fall dead. We'd get to where we'd be real, real cautious of what we said, wouldn't we? When you realize that when you start walking in obedience to God's Word, that to walk in divine health, you must walk without sin. You must walk holy before God. No grudges. No unforgiveness. Ever. Because if you do, you get turned over to the devil. Now when you learn that, Mama, your unforgiveness can make your child sick. You know that, don't you, Terry? You're a good example. You're a good teaching tool here today. You know that. But I've seen it several times and lots of times in a more awesome, intensive way than it happened with Terry and, and Frank and their children. 
I've seen children bound with seizures. I've seen children with high temperatures. I've seen children with all kinds of things because of either mother's or daddy's unforgiveness. If you knew that was a reality and it's written right here in this book and you're a man or a woman and you got children, if you got a family and if you ever hold a grudge against anybody for anything, you think the minute you step into that sin of unforgiveness, you're giving the devil legal right not only to you but to your wife, to your children, to your, to your spouse, and everything you own. When that becomes a reality to you, it will be no problem for you never to hold a grudge against anybody for anything. It doesn't matter what anybody does to you. And then when people say, well, let's talk about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. When that scripture in 1 Peter 3, when, that, when you get revelation on that, that's another thing that causes so much problem in the church. Look, let's just look at this. I want you to see this. And we're going to quit on this one. But I want you to look. I want you to see. Not only will unforgiveness ruin you, but in 1 Peter chapter 3, I want you to see what the Lord said here. 1 Peter 3, starting with verse 10. Of course, verse 9, he's telling us. Well, let's, let's go back up to verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one for another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. I don't know, I kind of like all them characteristics, don't you? That sounds pretty nice to me. Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise, a blessing. Does that sound like what Christians should be like? Uh-huh, blessings. Knowing that you are there unto call that you should inherit a blessing. So if you're speaking a blessing over somebody else, what's going to come to you? A blessing. Do you like that? What if you're speaking evil about someone? What's going to come back to you? Evil. Let's look at the next verse, verse 10. For he or she that will love life and see good days. Now, I don't know about you, but I like that. That's kind of where I'd like to live, wouldn't you, Fred? For he that will love life and see good days... Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew or turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Do you reckon God really means what he said in this book or is he just talking? What do you think, Shelley? You think he believes it? You think he means it, huh? Well, if, he really believe, if we really believe that, after today, when we leave here, I've had some people, the reason I've done this today is because after I'd done the teaching the other night on, at GLC, as we were leaving, a man says, you know, that was a powerful message you taught tonight. And said there was a woman here tonight that had been holding a grudge against me. And I didn't know why she just dropped out of our life about five years ago. But she said, he said, I haven't seen her. But said she was here tonight. And after you preached that message that if you don't forgive, you'll die and go to hell. He said, she came up to me and told me, I forgive you. And I want you to know I love you. And he said, she even put her arms around me and hugged me. So I know she really forgave me. But see, when you learn 
the little nickel-dime sin that whatever he did, it ain't worth you going to hell for forever. It gets a little bit easier to forgive him for what he maybe said. And you know what probably happened truly? He probably didn't say anything bad at all. It's just the devil put it in her mind, and he's the one that made her think that. And so when you get a hold of that fact, you'll stop listening to that voice from the devil. Won't you, Sharon? You start, stop listening to that beast. Because when you listen to that beast, when he comes to you to get you to walk in sin, when you listen to that beast, you wind up in a car wreck. You wind up with a back out of place in pain for 30 years. And that wasn't no fun either, was it? No. Well, when you listen to the Lord and you do what the Lord says and you obey him, then he says, I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Is that where we want to live? That's where we want to live. Can you live there? Yes, you can. Can you do it outside of what this book says? No, you cannot. So if you'll read this book and take this book to heart, and first thing, if you have a grudge against anybody for anything, I don't care what it is. What do you need to do today? You need to forgive that person those sins. You need to ask God to forgive you. And then as soon as if that person's here today, you need to go to them and say, Whoa, Sister, I, brother, I forgive you. I'm going to love you. I don't care what anything. I'm going to love you. I'm not going to hold no grudges against you or nobody else. And if they're not here, then you go home and call them. If they live in New York City, you call them and say, Brother, sister, I want you to know, after what I heard today, that preacher preached down there and said, I am not going to hell because of what happened between you and me. I'm going to ask you to forgive me, and I'm going to love you. I don't care what anybody says. And if they say, well, I ain't going to love you, said, that's okay. You can do what you want to, but I've learned what I've got to do, and I'm going to love you. Amen. Yes. Wait just a second so they can hear what you're saying, Elaine. Let me get the mic back there. I know a lot of people have a grudge, so to speak, against God. They can't forgive God for bad things that have happened in their life. Could you address that quickly? Yes, I will. I'll tell you what. The Word of God says in James 1.17 that all good and perfect gifts come from the Father. Right, Nothing bad comes from God. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you that if, if, you're, if your son your daughter, your wife, or anybody you love was killed or taken out prematurely, accident or whatever, it was not God. Amen. God is not the author of death. The devil is. Get mad at the devil, but not God. When people say, but I prayed and I did this. See, we don't know the Word. So by not knowing the Word, it breaks God's heart when your child is laying there afflicted and tormented and you're crying out to God. And, of course, I'm, I just keep using Terry up here because I know she understands she's had this happen. Well, when her children were sick and afflicted, she's crying out to God, trying to get God to heal her children. And he wants to, but he cannot. Why can he not? Because she's got an unforgiveness toward her husband. And the devil is there because God wrote a set of rules. And he cannot change those rules for nobody. But the very minute she found out what the problem was, and she repented, then the devil was taken away, and her children and her marriage and everything else fell into a new realm beyond her wildest dreams. God set down a set of rules. He put them in this book for you and me, and he can't change it for you. 
His word is forever settled in heaven. So if there's something happened to you, or somebody's been sick or afflicted, or somebody's been killed, or a drunk run over your child and killed your child, hey, don't get mad at God. It was the devil that did it. The devil. You might not have had any problem in your life, but the devil got into a man or a woman, and they run over your child on the freeway and killed your child. That was not God's fault. That was the devil. The devil's the one made that man drink. The devil's the one put those thoughts in his mind, but that man had to yield to that. The devil had to come to you. That's just like every human being on the earth today in the church, and this is such a sad thing that happens in the church. The church, so many people in the church still smoke. Now, we know. We can read on the package. And it says cigarettes causes cancer. Why is it that we continue to smoke? Why do we waste our money to go down and buy these things and smoke these things and let that cancer come into our lungs? And then you, they bring a man for you here to a healing school for you to pray when he's in excruciating pain. And the guy's my age. And he can't breathe. He's already had surgery. They've taken his lungs out and everything, just like he did my dad. My dad the same way. My dad was hung up on that nicotine demon, and he smoked technically until he died. But the last 10 years of his life was miserable. In fact, when they took, when he was like 73 or 4, they took a third of one lung out. And when that doctor came out of that operating room, he said, Thurman, if I'd had to take any more of the lung out of your dad than I did, he would have never recovered from the operating room because there's not enough air sacs left in his lung for him to breathe. He said his lungs are burned up with nicotine. Who was it that made the choice to smoke? My daddy. Yeah, the devil's there tempting him, getting him to do it. And when he gets him hooked on it, well, he just goes through all of his life and does it. There's no telling how much money my daddy wasted on nicotine, and it shortened his life and made the last part of his life absolutely miserable because he yielded to the wrong voice. Yeah, that's right. But see, my dad didn't have a clue about these things. I mean, he went to church. You know, he loved my mother. He was a great man. He loved us kids and everything. But the devil don't care. He'll do what he can to take you out. If Daddy had not smoked, who knows? Daddy might have lived to be 90. But he'd had a whole lot better life. But men and women do that. What do we do to our physical bodies that sin? We smoke too much, some of us. We drink too much. We eat too much. We do all kinds of things to our flesh. You know, we do all kinds of things that's wrong. It's amazing what we do. But... All those physical things you can do is wonderful, but if you don't take care of yourself spiritually, you can be the best-looking man. I mean, you take Wally, for instance. Wally is a wonderful, beautiful, handsome young man. Got a trim there. I mean, he's, he, he looks like the picture of health. But a few years ago, between a pastor and his wife and other things that happened, Wally got into unforgiveness so hard that he was ready to kill everybody on the block. And he wound up in the hospital with a four-path bypass surgery in just a few weeks. Five bypass surgery. It didn't pay good dividend, did it, Wally? And then they sent him home to die. Said, you'll never work again. Blood clots in his legs, a handful of medicine and everything. Wally repented, stood, but it was a battle. But Wally repented and stood on the Word of God. I prayed with him, and he prayed, and we took authority over that thing. And he fought that battle intently, and he finally come through it. Almost after death. But he won it. And now then he's totally healthy again. But do you think Wally's going to hold a grudge against anybody again? No, sir. 
Ain't never no, ain't never no more, is it? You learned your lesson and you learned it hard, didn't you? <laughs> it don't make no to what your wife or me or anybody else does. You ain't on to no grudge against none of us, right? <laughs> In other words, when you learn your lesson like Wally learned his, you learn your lesson like Terry learned hers. Let's take an, let's take an example from these people's problems and see what they went through, and let's don't go there. Now, if you'll take what I showed you today from God's Word, and you'll walk holy before the King in obedience to His Word, and read this Word and do everything this Word says, not letting any offenses come to you. Now then, it's easy to be offended. I'm telling you, it's easy. The devil can do it. And I'll tell you one afternoon, I'll just tell you this example. I, I mean, I am a man that knows this book. I've read it, no telling how many times, but still, I'm a human being. And I walked up one day in a, in a company I was working for, and they wanted me to do a massive project. And they said, if you can get this done by next Saturday, we, it, it will just absolutely be wonderful. I said, oh, I can get this done by Wednesday night. They said, Thurman, there's no way. I said, guarantee we can get it done. We were going to install a quarter-million-dollar dishwasher, hook it all up. And, of course, I knew those machines inside and out. They sent us a machine from New York. We was all took apart. We put it all back together. Wired it all up, put it in and everything, and then come Wednesday, we had it in, hooked up, ready to go, and then some kind of a technical problem with electrical wiring. They'd done something wrong, and it would not work. And they called me and said, Thurman, we can't make it work. Get out here. I went out there, and I spent eight hours in that machine tracing every wire until I finally found the problem. It took me all day, a little more than a day. That's a huge machine. I finally found the problem. I didn't get it running until the next day. But I still got it running on Thursday. I said I'd get it running on Wednesday. But it took me until Thursday. But they said if I could get it running by Saturday evening, it would be a miracle. So I'm way ahead of the game. The general manager sent me an email. said, you're not as good as you thought you was. I mean, I was so mad I could have bit a nail in two. Now, I know none of y'all ever been there, have you? Can offenses come? Yes, they can. Who's that coming from? The devil. I mean, I went roaring up to that general manager's office, and I hit that door, and it was locked. I put my key in it. I had a key to everything. I opened the door, and I walked in, and thank God they'd gone home. <laughs> so I said, well, I'm going home, too. If that's the way they feel about this. Now, am I doing what's right in the ways of the Lord? No, not even close. But am I still a human? Unfortunately. So I go out and get in my truck, and I go home, and I walk in the door, and I walked in the door. My wife had had a good day that day. She said, hi, honey. How's it going? I said, it's terrible. I whoop, bit her head, bum off. Wow. She said, what happened? I said, don't talk to me. Ooh, am I doing things right now, guys? Not hardly. I mean, what am I doing? I, go, I said, I'm going upstairs and sat down and watched TV. And I went up and turned on Christian television, I thought. I flipped the power switch on, and this is what happened. I believe this was supernatural. There was a man standing on the screen, and he said, Offenses will come, but don't receive them because they'll cut off your power with God. And I just turned it off. And I fell on my knees. And I said, Lord, forgive me. Now, I have no idea if that was really what was on the TV or God was speaking to me right there. 
But I went back downstairs and I said, Honey, will you please forgive me? I've been a dummy today. Can offenses come? Yeah, you need to catch them where? Right up front. I hope I'm in a better place now. I understand the requirements now a whole lot more even than I did then just five years ago when that happened. But don't let the devil do those kind of things to you. Because what's he trying to do to you? Get legal right to you. Paul said, we understand these things now and we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. But the church has been very ignorant of the devil's devices. See, if the devil gets legal right to you, he's going to take it, isn't he? He'll take you out if he can. He nearly took you out, didn't he, Wally? He nearly took you out because Wally let him get to him. And it almost cost him his life. And it did cost him surgery. But he learned his lesson well. Like he said, there ain't nothing you can do to me. Make me upset at you no more. I don't care who you are. But nobody should want to go through that, should they, Wally? Take his example. Here's the thing, the secret. Walk holy before God. You open no doors to the devil. Read the Word of God. Now then, will God forgive you? Yes, He will. But can it take a while for you to get well, even after you repented? Yes, it can. He sure can. The secret is to walk in divine health. The secret is to know sin. If you sinned, Ask the Lord to forgive you. If you have a grudge against somebody, get right with God and them. And then start walking in love and doing what God says. And if you'll not doubt, He will restore you. He will heal you. He promises it every time. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you're such a merciful God. And that you forgive us. But Lord, help us as the church to walk holy before you. And to share these truths with others so we can walk in divine health and teach others in the church how to walk in divine health. Now bless us, Lord, as we go forth from here today. And use us this week to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Went home to be with the Lord this last week. All of us are going to, that are Christians, all of us are going to graduate to that level someday. <clears throat> Probably not anybody in this room hasn't lost a loved one or two. If you haven't, you haven't experienced something, but it, it, just hang around. You will, you know, because I've lost a bunch of them in my life. And, of course, this last few years I've had some tremendous tragedies in my life. But God brings you through all of them, you know, Amen. and uh, he brings you through. Because the thing about it is you've got to realize that we're all, if Christians, those of us that are sons and daughters of the king, we're just passing through. We're not going to be here long. We're here to do the will of the Lord, and then he's going to bring us home. <clears throat> In fact, I'll, I'll tell you a little story right now. This is a good time for a little bit of testimony. We're going to have some testimonies here in uh, just a minute. But uh, while we were, we just got back. We got up this morning, Dallas time, 4.15 this morning, and went out and drove a while to Pittsburgh to the airport, got on an airplane. We got here just exactly in time to take care of a few little things we had to do, get a shower, change clothes, and come to church. So it's been a busy day already for us, praise the Lord. Amen. It's been a good day. You know, so some of you may have started before I did this morning at 4.15, but that's when we started Dallas time, 4.15 this morning. So Cheryl, she said she woke up an hour early, so she said she started at 3.15 this morning for some strange reason. She couldn't sleep. That's unusual for her because usually she sleeps good. 
But this morning she didn't sleep for some reason. But anyway, we made it. And, and of course, tonight, she's going to, when church is over this afternoon, she's going to go over and continue to work on our song, or her songs. I should say they're our songs. Uh, we're, we're making these things now, praise the Lord. And uh, it's, a, it's just wonderful what God is doing and everything. And uh, it, it, just, it just blows me away what the Lord is doing. He's doing so many wonderful things. Uh, I won't. Uh, I won't tell you who it is, uh, because they might not want me to tell you. But uh, I will make this announcement to tell you that Tuesday night, just to show you what God does, is beyond my wildest dreams. And I've tried to call these people four or five times this week to tell them thank you, but I have not been able to get through to them. But Tuesday night, I made an announcement that we, were, since it cost so much money to make these recordings, that I was going to buy our own equipment to make our own recording studio. And Cheryl and I had just been over to the recording or to the places to look at the software and the computers and, and all the stuff it takes to set up your own recording studio. And I made the announcement uh, Tuesday night that it looked like that we could get started for about $10,000. And when I got home, a lady put a check in the box for $10,000. Yeah. And she put on the bottom of it for your recording studio. So... I won't call hers and her husband's name, but they know who they are, and I want to tell you how grateful I am. But that just blows me away. On a Tuesday night Bible study class, I get home, open the box, and there's several checks in there, but, you know, all of them together is not worth, but, you know, about maybe $1,000. But that one, when I opened and looked at that one, I thought, wow, down at the bottom it says, for your recording studio, praise the Lord. I thought, isn't God awesome? Amen. All you got to do is do God's work, and He'll take care of you. He just never ceases to blow me away what the Lord does. He's so awesome. So anyway, in the very near future, we will have this recording studio set up. You know, it's now already paid for. Uh, even before we got the stuff, it's already paid for. So uh, it, just, it just never ceases to amaze me what God does. But He is so awesome. But I, I, I just want to praise Him and worship Him. And, and, of course, for all of you that give to this ministry and everything else, uh, you know, you're, so many of you are giving your time, uh, your money, your talents, your gifts. And, and God's just doing great things. And he's, he's, certainly, he's certainly sending people to help me do things. And, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, years ago, I thought, well, you know, I'll teach a Sunday school class. And, you know, when I get to be about 62, 65, you know, I'll get to retirement age where I can draw my Social Security. I can quit working and I might make a few tapes, you know. And speak somewhere once in a while if God would open a door for me. But I had no idea what he was going to do. Wow. Now then that I'm supposed to be at retirement age, my schedule, Cheryl says our schedule's five pages longer. At least it was when I left. I, Lane's called me a couple of times and added more things to it. And I thought I was going to have a week this week to get some things done. And we got a ministry appointment tomorrow afternoon at 1. But then... Elaine called and said, there's another church wants us to speak Wednesday night and Thursday in Nacogdoches. So she signed us up for that. So I guess Wednesday morning we'll be on the road to Nacogdoches. And I guess we'll speak Wednesday night and Thursday night and Friday morning we'll be back on the way back home again. So, man, is he keeping us busy. And then, of course, Wendell, you know, uh, this week, uh, some, some of you know, we had a, had a family drive down from Iowa with a 14-year-old daughter that needed to be delivered. I mean, since the, 
deliverance ministries are a nickel, you know, a dozen, and they're all over the place. They didn't have to drive very far to find one, only from Iowa to Dallas, you know. So, and, yeah, 10 hours of driving. And then uh, Wendell, and of course, we had many people at the ministry center that was interceding. But uh, before the day was over, Wendell, of course, taught them the Word of God for about three hours, three and a half hours, and everything. And then the demon started talking to him. And I think about 8 o'clock that night, he finally got the last one kicked out of that 14-year-old girl. But there was 10 demons named themselves before they came out of this little 14-year-old girl. She was really critical. You know, they were choking her. She couldn't eat. I mean, a 14-year-old girl. And, of course, it's amazing what devils and demons do inside of human beings. And the majority of the church today, unfortunately, don't believe there is such a thing. And so the institutions that we use to get us set free from everything there is is what we call the medical profession. You know, no offense against the medical profession, but, you know, my experience, of course, I went to the medical profession the first part of my life because I didn't know that Jesus was a healer. I didn't know he was. And so I went, and, of course, when I'd get cut up or tore up or whatever, I'd be sewed up or whatever. And I guess they'd done me some good. But now then I realize that, you know, doctors... Technically speaking, no doctor that I've ever met goes to school to help the people. He goes to school so he can make a million dollars. That's what he goes to school for. Because when I go, when I see a person that goes to a doctor, like I think about Caitlin, Caitlin lay in a hospital in Cook's Medical Center with nothing more than just IVs and things in her and a little medication because I would not let a doctor touch her with nothing, nothing. And that little girl's ICU bill for 30 days was over a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. I mean, that's really God, right? No, that's not God. God says, freely I have given to you, freely give it away. So I'm going to tell you, I'm down on the doctors. I really am. You go into a hospital, and if you happen to be a doctor, I'm not, a, I'm not here to offend you or say anything. I'm just saying, if you're a doctor and you go in and do an hour and a half surgery on somebody and you charge them $10,000, you're not doing God any, any work, I guarantee you. And then whenever the doctor comes in and the hospital charges you another $10,000 for a one- or two-day trip, in the hospital, there ain't nothing God about that. That's a profession, and I'm going to tell you, if you if your eyes could be opened, now I don't want to offend anybody here, but I'm going to tell you, if your eyes could be opened, there's not a, any place in the world where there's more demons than there is in hospitals. Amen. There's more demons in hospitals than there are anywhere else, because that's where death and destruction is. Now, if you don't believe that, all you got to do is walk in a hospital and start praying for people in faith, like I did, and you watch what happens. I mean, whenever the supposedly laity, the chaplains, come at you at gunpoint two different times to remove you from a hospital, and all you're doing is praying for little children that are on their deathbed, and God's healing them, and they want to remove you at gunpoint. I'm going to tell you there's something wrong with this picture. Something wrong with this picture. 
So I don't know where your faith is, and I don't know what you're able to do. But I have proved beyond a shadow of a doubt in my own life and with the Word of God what you can do by faith. What you can do by faith. And when the king says nothing's impossible, that's what he meant, wasn't it, Terry? But the average person, instead of going to the Lord, when you need something, we go somewhere else. I mean, we just, we don't realize. What we don't realize that we're in a war on this earth. And this war that we're in, the enemy has set up a camp. And that camp is hospitals. Now, like I say, some of you are not going to like me after today. That's okay. You know? But this, this will tell you where your faith is. This will tell you where your faith is and what your trust is and who it's in. You know, now, if, if you've got some guy that's willing to help you, that is a, the guy that's been to school, you know, the thing about it is, if, if you ever have read the oath a doctor takes when he goes to school, it will rattle your cage when you see that he takes an oath to four gods that none of them are our God. Isn't that amazing? But they say, I don't mean that. It's kind of like a man that takes an oath in the Masonic Lodge that says, I swear to never give this secret name of God, which is either Mahabon or Jebulon, which is not the names of God at all. I swear to never do this if I do, and I ever give any of this information, you can pierce my eyes out with a three-bladed sword, and you can cut my throat, and you can bury my body low water tide. So help me God. I don't know about the God you serve, but the one I serve don't require me to do that. You know, and the one I serve's name's Jesus. But there's a battle going on on this earth for the souls of men. And this beast is so deceptive that he has so trained you and me today. He has so trained the average Christian, instead of coming to the Lord and asking the Lord to help, we go to the devil through doctors. I mean, you think of the little woman in the book of Acts, or the book of Mark, the little woman that she came to Jesus. And she says... Twelve years she had had her infirmity, and she had been to the doctors, and it said she grew worse, and she grew poor. They took all of her money, and she got worse. And then she heard about the king. And she said, I know if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be healed. When you touch his hem... Of his garment in faith, things happen, don't they? But you know the secret that the church don't want to hear is when I tell you you're sick or you're afflicted or you're tormented because of sin. You don't want to hear that. I mean, I've I have I have offended people. I don't plan to offend you. I just make a statement. But the Lord's the one said that. So since the Lord said it, I thought I was on pretty safe ground. But I come to find out that I wasn't on safe ground. 
because I realized when I got to thinking about Jesus telling them what he did, they called him possessed by a devil and they killed him. So if they killed him and said he had a demon, and he said if they're going to persecute me, so if you do what I tell you, they're going to persecute you. So if you're really going to be a Christian and you really want to see the Lord do some wonderful things and you start walking with God, I'm going to guarantee you the world's going to come against you. So, so you just get ready for it. You know, We're in a war. And of course, something I'm going to start teaching on in the very near future is what the Scripture says about the Lord coming again. Now, I believe that the return of the Lord is very near. You know, now I don't know if it's going to be two years or five years or ten years, but I believe it's close. And I'm going to tell you, the Scripture tells us what we need to be doing if we're going to go when He comes again. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss that first load. I want to be in that first load that goes out. Don't you, Frank? I, I don't want to be one of them that's left to the end of that tribulation period. I mean, you know, that's right, God forbid. But there's going to be a lot of people. There's going to be a lot of churches. In fact, when I think about what Paul said over in Timothy there, chapter 4, when he's talking about in the latter days, the Spirit has expressly said, many shall depart from the faith. You know, I mean, if you was raised up in a church like I was raised up in, and you didn't know what faith was, you never got to faith. So how could you depart from faith? You understand where I'm coming from? I mean, you know, if you've never been taught what faith is, I mean, you've got to be able to get there first before you can leave. So if I didn't have any faith, and of course the people that where we ministered this week in Pittsburgh, I don't think I heard a single person, not one that I can remember, say that they ever saw God do a miracle in the church they'd been in. Never seen God do a healing. And so they said, whenever we got a hold of your tapes, it's just like you talk about them happening all the time. And you had people on all kinds of tapes that said, this happened to me and this happened to me and this happened to me. So they said, we wanted to know what you've known. Now, guess what most of those people said after about three days of intensive teaching? We have got to straighten our act up, and we've got a lot of confessing of sin and a lot of work to do. Because, see, they're walking in the world. Now, see, this is what we don't realize when the Lord says, no sin. That's what he meant. Be ye holy, for I am holy. No sin. I mean, but God understands. Just a little sin's okay, isn't it, Wendell? No, that's not what he meant, was it? Not even just a little. Because every time you sin, you open a door to the devil. I've heard people tell me, Thurman, my grandmother, she died of cancer. And she was the most holiest woman I ever knew in my life. And I know she never done anything wrong. My mother was a great woman of God, too. The best I know. But my mother had cancer a couple of times. She had surgery. She even had her breasts removed. I can remember sitting beside my mother's bed as she's having surgery after she had her breast removed in excruciating pain and they're trying to find a, a, a vein to put an IV in and she's saying, Thurman, is there anything you can do? Please help me, son. They're hurting me. And guess what? I didn't even know how to pray. I did not even pray for my mother and I had been in church all of my life. I did not know enough about God's Word to know how to pray a prayer of faith for my mother. But my mother had been in church all of her life, too, and she didn't know enough about God's Word, although she read it. 
It had never become a revelation to her. Her unbelief is what put her there. Her unbelief. I mean, as for my mother was the most wonderful, loving Christian woman you could ever imagine. You could not meet a woman that would be more of a godly woman than my mother. But when it came to the magnificent promises in that book, my mother didn't believe them. She had to have read them, but she didn't know them. They had not become a revelation to her. That's what I'm trying to teach you. Now, I don't know why God has called me out in these last days and started speaking to me and showing me these things. But i got a feeling he's got something a whole lot bigger than I can see right around the corner. You know, he's, he's called me out and a few other men and women across this country that are doing the same things I'm doing. And he is calling his church to become a holy church. Because I'm going to tell you something else that you're not going to like today. In the very near future, and it's a whole lot closer than you think, we're going to change presidents. And this next one, there's going to be something that's going to happen in the church that I guarantee you're not going to like. But before the next four years are up, the church is going to be persecuted beyond your wildest dreams. So you better make sure you're a strong Christian. You better make sure you're ready for what's going to happen. There's going to be some devastating things happen in America. And it's already started. Several years ago, I was standing in a room with a prophet. This man of God, he was standing there and he said, You know, I got to know him for a, after a little while. And we got to talking about things of God. And he said, you know, I don't understand, still don't understand what God was showing me the other day. And this has been about two years before when it happened. But he said, I was sitting in church one Sunday. We were singing and I was worshiping and praising and had my hands raised. And all of a sudden I looked up and here's a city all burned out right in front of me. He said, what is that? He said, then I, there was one appeared over here. And it was all burned out. And he said, then there was one over here. And then there's one over here. I said, Lord, why are you showing me the burned, bombed out cities of Europe in World War II? He said, son, that's not Europe. That's America. He said, what do you mean? He said, because of the wickedness in America. This is what's coming. And he said, it's going to start in New York City. Nine one one came. And it happened exactly like that prophet said. I thought, can he be right on the rest of that? Atlanta, Dallas, Phoenix, San Francisco, L.A. The church has gotten complacent. I'm telling you today, and I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but I know in my heart things are going to happen that you're not going to like. And maybe the best thing could happen 
is men like Mike got to go home early. Men like my wife and daughter got to go home early. They're going to be delivered from these things. They're already at home with the king. But the thing about it is, be like Paul. I'm going to Jerusalem. They said, they're going to kill you when you get there. He said, that's okay. He said, no problem. He said, to live is Christ. But to die is gain. To die is gain. So you got to realize that if they persecute us, and they're going to. But the church is soft. I'm telling you. In the next few years, and it may be quicker than you think. If you're not ready for what's going to happen, you're not going to like what's going to happen in the next few years. Get ready. Be prepared. Study your word. Know who you are in Christ. And get rid of this little deal of saying, well, I'll go to church when I want to. I'll do this or I'll do that. You better study the word of God and get prepared. Because... Getting somebody healed is going to be a minor little problem. But those of us that are going to be faith men and women, that's going to be walking holy before God, we're going to get to see the king do some of the most awesome things we've ever seen in this battle that's going to be fought. I can assure you there will be, he's training us for something that's beyond even my wildest dreams. But we're going to get the king, see the king do some of the most awesome miracles of restoration and healing and rising from the dead and doing all th- putting arms back on and so forth that have get, got blown off. You're going to get to see the king do some of the most awesome things you've ever dreamed of. But you cannot be just a casual Christian and live there. You're going to have to be red hot for the Lord. I think about the people that are not willing to even confess Jesus in the workplace. Well, let me tell you, if you're not willing to confess Jesus in the workplace and do mighty miracles for him now, if you're not willing to do that now because you think you might lose your job, let me tell you, you're going to lose your soul before it's over. You know, they're going to come in and they're going to want to know, are you a Christian? And if there's not enough evidence to convict you of that, then you're going to be lost. But if there is enough evidence to convict you of that, I can guarantee you, you're going to be persecuted. You're not going to like what's going to happen in the next few years. And I think it's going to happen quicker than we think. So all i got to say is, it's exactly what I told Cheryl the other night. We were laying there after we were talking about some of these things. I said, honey... Do you know that I might only have another year or two or maybe less to hold you in my arms and love you? But I said, if we do, if that's all there is, I said, we're going to fight the fight of faith and we're going to have a wonderful time between now and then. I said, we're going to praise God together and we're going to serve the King and we're going to do everything we can do to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. I am not going to back off. I'm not going to withdraw. I'm going to serve the king. I'm going to teach you what it requires. And I'm going to teach you that what I've already taught most of you. Jesus is the healer. If you believe him, 
and walk holy before him, he will do what he said he will do. But he demands, even his children, he demands that we walk holy before him. And something he has so demanded of men, and, and I saw some tremendous, we had some tremendous experiences this week of men that really do not love their wife. I think about, Cheryl and I was talking about this even coming to church a while ago. I said, you know, the problem with men, they don't know what love is. A man doesn't, until he walks into the anointing of God, until he walks into that and learns what the love of Christ is in him, he will never be able to love a woman. I said, but when that happens, when a man gets in that anointing and does what he's supposed to do and walks in and learns who God is and lets God fill him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, I said, that man will walk up in the morning, wake up in the morning, and the first thing he will do, he will look over at that woman he's married to, and he'll put his arms around her, and he'll look her right in the eye and say, Honey, I don't care what her hair looks like or what her breast smells like. He said, You're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And then... If that beautiful woman, it's amazing what men don't know about what God says and what keeps us from getting our prayers answered. But when you love that woman, like God says, then God says, I'll answer your prayer. Now the man that gets upset with his wife, the man that fusses at his wife or the man that cusses his wife. And I minister to lots of people. And let me tell you, that happens in Christian homes. And they want to know why they have all the problems they have. You want to know why you're sick and afflicted? I think about one of the greatest men of God today. He's got one of the biggest ministries. And I'll even tell his name. John Paul Jackson, because he told me this message himself. He'd been to Europe preaching for three weeks, and he is an anointed man of God. He said, I came home after three weeks, and I walked in, and the yard looked terrible. And I walked in, and instead of taking his wife and loving her, and be gentle and kind to her like God told him to, after he kind of said a casual hi, why didn't you mow the yard? And she said, well, I've been extremely busy, honey, and I haven't had time. So he got kind of upset, and he goes out and said, well, I'll just mow the yard myself. He made some kind of not too bad of statements, but he said some things that wasn't loving and kind. And he went out and grabbed the lawnmower, and he didn't make one round, and then he picked up a piece of steel and slung it through his leg and ripped his leg wide open. And blood gushed everywhere. Now, that man is not a man of faith when it comes to healing. Believe me, I've sat across the table from him and talked to him several times. He's not a man of faith in healing. He's a great man of God, but he's not a man of faith in healing. He doesn't understand these things, but God gives him awesome gifts in dreams and visions. Awesome gifts. 
He said he went to the hospital. Went to the hospital. They cleaned it up, sewed it up, took nine stitches in his leg. And on the way home, he said, God, why me? That's a dangerous thing to ask God. (laughs) If you don't want to know the truth, don't ask him. So he told his son, he said, to happen to you because of the way you treated your wife. Is there a message in that? Now, if we believe these things, no man would ever treat his wife harmful. Do you know you're flirting with death when you treat your wife like that? In fact, just the other day, and I hope Billy won't mind if I tell this. I'm sure she would. In fact, she might have another testimony she wants to give herself. She told me something a while ago. But Billy came up here last week, last Sunday or last Tuesday night, whichever one it was, I forget, and said that she got uh, her knee swelled up to two and a half times its size. Isn't that right, Billy? That right? Where's Billy? That, that, that's what it was? Two and a half times its size and excruciating pain. And she couldn't figure out. She's seeking God. God, what's wrong? Have I sinned? Now, see, the average Christian don't even know that much. But she knew enough to petition God. So she went to the Lord and said, Lord, have I sinned? And he didn't say anything. And so she continued to petition the Lord, and finally she has to go to the bathroom. So she asked Don, her husband, said, Honey, will you carry me to the bathroom? I can't walk. So he carries her to the bathroom. While she's in there in the bathroom, she's still petitioning God, Lord, what is wrong? And the Lord says something that's quite something. He said, The problem's not yours, it's Don's. Now that's scary, isn't it? That's scary. She's down with her knees twelve up two and a half times its size with excruciating pain. He can't walk because of his sin. So she said, Lord, what is it? And the, the, the week before, I had just preached on gambling. You know, we shouldn't gamble. We shouldn't buy lottery tickets. Well, Don went out that day and bought, after that bought a lottery ticket. See, we don't hear too good. I mean, you know, we hear it, but we don't hear it. So, or we just do things and don't realize it. So he said, she said he went out and bought a lottery ticket. And she told him, said, didn't you buy a lottery ticket? He said, yeah. He said, I don't know where I possibly could have sinned. I mean, he's trying his best to walk holy before God. But when she says, didn't you buy a lottery ticket? Thurman just preached, that's gambling. Well, he said, I'll tear it up and throw it away and repent. And he did. And then she said, he, after that, laid hands on her and prayed for her. And instantly the pain went away in her knee. Isn't that amazing? And then she said the next morning when she woke up, her knee was completely the normal size again. Isn't that amazing that sin sin has a consequence? And then she had some more tremendous experience. Billy, would you come up here a minute? Would you mind? Would you come up here and and tell me what else God has done for you in your life since you and Don are learning to walk holy before Him and walk in a love relationship with each other? Just tell us a few things God is doing. He's doing some wonderful things in your life, isn't He? Yes, and I told Thurman today, I don't know what God is up to, but something. (laughs) But I was going to Michael's funeral uh, Wednesday, and uh, a year ago I was told, that I needed to have a rotator cuff replaced. And I uh, 
uh, Thurman and Wendell both have prayed for me, but immediately I didn't get uh, I didn't get a miracle, and so I've just been thanking God for healing me. And I was on the way to the funeral, and I was listening to Thurman preach, and the Lord just showed me yours is healed, and it, you know I couldn't even lift my arm or move it or anything, and praise the Lord, here it is. And so I don't know, I told Thurman, I said, I don't know what God is up to with me, but he's trying to show me so many things. And then Friday I went down to see my daughter and the grandbaby. And he's one year old, and I had him up in my lap, and he grabbed a hold of my glasses. This is something little, but God cares about everything, y'all. Little bitty things are just so important to him. And the way he grabbed them, the lens fell out. And so... My daughter said, Mom, we'll go to the mall and we'll get someone to put it in right there. And so I had a shirt pocket, so I just slipped it in there. Well, we got to the eye place and no lens. We had the glasses, but no lens. And so we went back out the car and searched and no lens. And so we went home and went all through the house, traced my steps back, and it, there was we couldn't find it anywhere. And so I was in the nursery, and I was down on my knees, and I said, Lord, you care about everything. You, you told us to pray about everything, and, of course, term taught us all this to stand on God's Word, and it's just so awesome. You know, it's all, He is so awesome. And so uh, I, I prayed, and I asked the Lord to show me where it was that uh, I had paid 600, a little over 600 for the glasses, and I said, I don't really need to buy another pair right now. <laughs> So anyway, I prayed and asked God to show me, and I thanked him for the answer. And we went on out to eat that night and came back, and I went to bed. And uh, God woke me up in the middle of the night. And, y'all, I had already searched my purse, too, but God showed me that my lens was in my purse. And so I got up and looked, and there was my lens in my purse. And I just praised the Lord for it because he cares about everything. It's just, he's so awesome. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, you notice she put the lens in her pocket, but she found it in her purse. Isn't it amazing what God will do for you? When you start walking holy and really wanting to walk holy before God like Don and Billy are wanting to do with all their heart, he really begins to answer prayers in a mighty way. He's done some wonderful things, of course, for them. As you, some of you know, some of you don't know, that just uh, not too long ago, uh, Don and Billy were out in the garage or something, uh, moving some stuff, and something heavy fell off a table or something fell on and just crushed her foot. And immediately they both were walking wholly before God and in faith. And so at first Don wanted to take her to the doctor because that's just a normal thing. But she said, no, we're not going because we're going to stand on God's word. And so then he come in line with her, and they began to pray, and the Lord completely took away all her pain, completely healed that foot, and she was able to walk on it by the next day without even any blackness or swelling. So that just goes to show you what the Lord will do for you when you ask him in faith when both of you are walking holy before him. So whatever, Juanita, you got another statement you want to make? I was just agreeing that all your testimonies don't have to be earth-shattering. Uh, I'm leaving today to go do some spiritual warfare for my grandson who's in the hospital in California. And I used Mike's suitcase. 
and I locked it. And then I thought, why did I do that? Because <laughs> God showed me where the key was, but it wouldn't open. And there's a there's a little number of things you turn, combination. I said, now what am I going to do? And God kept telling me it's his birthday. Okay, let's see, March 1st. 1952. I tried different things. And it wouldn't work. And finally, I said, okay, let's see. How can I do this? Three, five, two. And it worked. God told me it was his birthday. So little things like that. But I want to ask you to be in agreement with me. My son is, my grandson is having problems with demons. There's no other explanation. He's vomiting. He's violent. He's just uncontrollable. And, uh, I've asked Thurman before about it, and he said that I had to educate my daughter and her husband, but I sent him tapes from you. And so far, I don't think they've listened to him, but he's in the hospital, and he's not doing well. And when he told me that, I just got this horrible feeling, but I'm already going out there, and I am going to shake the heavens for him. And I just ask you to be in agreement with me, because if he's delivered, then I don't have to live in California. But my daughter wants me to move out there to help with him. But if he's delivered, I don't have to. And then I can do what I want to do, what God's got. Because he's got something awesome, and I don't know what it is. But I'm willing, you know. And and I'm I'm so excited, and I don't even know what it is. But I'm just, (laughs) wow, you know. But God uh, turned it around. She was going to come here for the funeral and bring my granddaughter. And God said, no, you need to go there. You need to see your grandson, and you need to get away. So I get away. I I might go to the ocean. (laughs) And... Then I realized what I really am going for is for my grandson. And I've done battle with that demon in Michigan before. But I think what I did, what God showed me is I rebuked the demon out and seven more came in. And it's worse, much worse than it was before. So like Thurman always says, this is not a game we're playing. This is serious stuff. And I just lost my, and it came out okay. He's in heaven. But I'm not going to lose my grandson, if at all possible. And I just ask you to be in agreement with me that, that God will make a way ahead of me, that he will prepare the situation so that I can come out victorious. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before the throne of grace right this moment asking you to open those doors. We ask you to move by the power of your spirit as we take authority over the devils of hell that's been blinding the mind of her grandson and her the children, the mother and the father that's over that baby. And Lord, we ask you to open their hearts and their minds to the things of God. Lord, because this is not a game we're playing. This is life and death. Lord, I ask you to move on their hearts. I ask you to change them and therefore heal that grandson and do a great and mighty work as Juanita goes. Give her the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding to share with them the truths of what she's learned from God's Word and what opens the doors to the demonic world. So she can get through to them. So she can get those children saved and those, that little, little one healed in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now then, let's go to the Word. I've got some things I want to show you today in the Word. Last week we were talking about Unforgiveness. 
And we got some of these scriptures taken care of. But I want to go to Luke 23:34 to start off today. Luke 23:34. I've come to realize that unforgiveness is one of the most powerful things, powerful tools the devil has. He really gets lots of Christians with this unforgiveness. Now, if you as a Christian understood the power of the devil over your life, when you step into a place of unforgiveness toward anyone, you would never hold a grudge against anybody for anything. It will make you sick, it will make your mate sick, it will make your children sick, and it will give the devil legal claim to your entire assets. He'll destroy everything. So you don't want to go there. You do not want to go there. I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing, you know, that what God's Word says about unforgiveness. Now then, here in, the, where was that, Luke uh, 23, 34, that's where I wanted to start off. If you haven't heard the rest of this message, you'll have to get it. Uh, I, I think we've got it all on one tape, I think, but we'll try to. But uh, as the reason that Jesus has a zero tolerance for unforgiveness among the body of Christ is because of what this verse says here in verse 34. It says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now then, you think of where he was right there when he made that statement. He was looking down at us from the cross. He was being tormented. If you saw the passion, and I'm sure some of you did, maybe all of you have or most of you have, that is the closest example that I've ever seen of what really happened to our Savior before they nailed him on the cross. Now then, if they were to, nobody in this room has ever been beaten like that, not, not even close. So if you've never been beaten like that, you've never been nailed on a cross, and you've never been dropped in that hole like he was and separated his shoulders and everything else, if he could still, from that position, look down at us, those that had did that to him, and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, he understood the spiritual laws and principles that we don't understand as a church because he knew who had put him on that cross, although it appeared to be those men and women. But technically, it was not those men and women. The Scripture says that the principalities and powers has put him on the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that if the principalities and powers had have known what they were doing, in other words, Satan and his demons, if they had have known what they were doing, they would have no wise crucified the Son of Glory. Because it was demonic spirits in those people that did what they did. And that's what Jesus was able to see through. And he knew that. And that's why he could forgive the people because he knew they didn't know what they were doing. Well, you and I are going to have to get to that point where we can see through into the spiritual world. And when we look at a human being, we've got to get to the point where we realize that that man or that woman is made in the image of God and his likeness. And without that demon in them, they can be a wonderful person. Now then... When you think about, let's say, and some of you may fit in this category, and, and Cheryl and I have ministered to so many 
men and women, and especially women, just in the short period of time we've been married, the women have opened up to us like they never would before. But now then that I've got a woman sitting beside me that's my mate, I have understood now some of the problems some of the women have that would never share these things with me before. And some of those women have talked to me and shared with me about how they started being sexually abused by an aunt or grandfather or their own daddy when they was as young as three or four years old. And some of these women have been physically abused until they were 16 or 18 years old, some of them by their own father. And they tell us about how they, how they bore it, how they went into something, how they just left uh, their body and while their daddy was abusing themselves in a sexual relationship, how they would just go somewhere else. I cannot imagine in, in, this, in this physical flesh realm, I cannot comprehend the fact of a father that could rape his own daughter. That is beyond my wildest comprehension. I can't go there. I can't live that. So when you tell me that happened to you, I can in no wise even associate what you went through because I was not raised in that. I was raised with a godly mother and father that would have given their life for me. They would have certainly not abused me, but my mother and father didn't have a demon living in them either. But I'm going to tell you, if your father or your uncle or your grandfather or your cousin or anybody else abused you sexually, forced you to have sex when you were a young person or a teenage girl, I'm going to tell you the person that did that had a demon. And you can get mad as the devil at the demons because God says that's the only thing you can hate is evil. But that person that did it, if you've still got a grudge against that person for what they did, you're holding that unforgiveness That's exactly the tactics the devil wants to use upon you so that you will hold that unforgiveness so it will give those demons legal right to you and even you and your family until he destroys you. And he has legal claim to you because you hold unforgiveness towards someone. And somebody said, but Thurman, you don't understand. My daddy raped me from the time I was three till I was 18 years old, and I hate him with a passion. I said, I can understand that just a little bit. But I said, you can't hate him. He's not the one that did it. And they said, oh, yes, he was. Well, it looked like it was him, but it was not. It was a devil living in him that took control of him. And it was the devil in him that did it. I'm going to tell you for sure, if that man did not have a demon of lust living in him, he would have never treated his own daughter like that. So you can forgive your father, but you can hate the devil. Now then, I'm going to tell you, men that had sex with women before they married them, they had a demon of lust. If they were not able to control themselves and they forced a woman to have sex with him before they got married. That man had a demon of lust. That's a shame, isn't it? But see, we don't understand the spirit world. That today we are so dead to the spirit world, yet you can go back all the way back to the story of Jonah thousands of years ago. And when Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh, he said, I'm not going. I'm going to go down here and I'm going to go this direction. I'm not going over there. And so... 
That didn't really intimidate God much, did it? So Jonah goes down and gets on a ship and he gets out in the sea. And he starts somewhere and all of a sudden the wind comes up. And it probably starts raining, lightning and everything else. And a tremendous storm comes up. And when this storm becomes way beyond a normal storm, every one of those lost heathens on that ship said, somebody in the ship's here because they've sinned. Isn't that amazing? So they started going through the ship to find out who had sinned. They're casting lots and everything else. Who is it that's causing this storm? This is not normal. I mean, yeah, the winds and the waves a little bit and the rains, one thing, but this is not normal. Somebody has sinned. Who's here because of sin? And Jonah says, it's me. It's me. And that's a bunch of lost heathens. The church today don't know enough about the spirit world to begin to understand when something starts happening to us, it's sin that's bringing this on us. We want to know why that when you go into the courthouse. I mean, I went into the courthouse in Denton the other day, a little place like Denton. A full staff of armed guards. You had to take everything out of your pockets, everything. And I happened to have a little tiny dinky pocket knife in my pocket to clean my fingernails with. And the guy said, you can't take that in. I said, okay, I'll leave it here on the desk till I get back. He said, no, you can't leave it here either. I said, what can I do with it? He said, you can take it back to the car and leave it in the car. Then you can come back. A little tiny dinky pocket knife. I told the guy, I said, you know, if, I said, are you a Christian? And he looked at me and he said, well, you know, that's, that's none of your business. And I said, well, let me tell you, it is my business. I said, because if people would serve Jesus, we wouldn't have this nonsense. We wouldn't have it. I said, I am a professing Christian. And I said, Buster, if you're not a professing Christian, you need to know my Jesus because you're not going to like the consequences one day when you die. You know, I mean, you, you got, I mean, just like we were thinking, we were talking last night about how many people share with people about Jesus. And Cheryl said, we get out of the car at the gas station. There's a guy over there pumping gas. Thurman gets out and said, you know Jesus. <laughs> you know, he said, we get into an elevator and there's two women in there. The first thing he says, looks around and I said, you two ladies know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? She said, he talks about Jesus to everybody he comes in contact with. Well, I'm going to tell you. All them except Jesus are going to be glad I showed up, right? Amen. That's right? And them that said, no, 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 this religious fanatic, I don't want nothing to do with you. One of these days at the great white throne, when they're being judged, and I'm standing over here with the king, and they look over and they see me, and they said, you, you were the one. You tried to tell me about Jesus, and I didn't listen to you. Now, that's, that's the way I want it to be. I don't want them to say, look over and say, I saw you. I worked with you five years, and you knew about this Jesus, and you're here, and you didn't tell me about him? Is that bad or is that bad? This is why Jesus, right here in Luke, where he has a zero tolerance for unforgiveness. He expects you and I to study his word and learn who the demonic forces are. Then he says, you can hate them critters. But you cannot hate the human beings. But what do we do? Somebody does something wrong? Man, I'm telling you, I was giving that example up there and all that people. I said, you can take that, you're, you're on the cross, you're nailed on there, and somebody says something wrong to you, and you just rip that hand out and reach right up and get them. And that guy said, you know, 
instead of nailing ourselves to the cross, we Velcroed ourselves to the cross. I said, that's a great one. I'm going to remember that. That's what we've done, isn't it? That way, see, I can stick that up there and it holds pretty good. And somebody says something I don't like, I can rip that off real quick. It don't hurt me. And I can reach and get them around the neck when they offend me. And I can just strangle them a few minutes and really get a hold of them. And then I can repent and put my Velcro back up there, see. Is that not the way it works, son? That's the way we do it, isn't it? But that's not the way God planned for us to do it, was it? He planned for us to stay on that cross. But that's why we don't get our prayers answered, because we don't do that. And the Lord has a zero tolerance for unforgiveness. So we need to make sure that we forgive. Now then, Luke, uh, or Ephesians 4.32. That's where I want to go now, Ephesians 4.32. This unforgiveness thing is, from what I am observing in the church, this is one of the biggest biggest problems in the church. And the reason we hold unforgiveness is because we don't know the consequences. I mean, it can ruin your life forever. And it is so simple to get rid of when you realize that your mate is not your enemy. When you realize your church member that comes down here that may say something about you or against you that you don't like, they're really not your enemy. You know, so don't hold a grudge against them. And even if it appears to be personal, you know, still don't receive it. Don't receive it. Don't go there. Because what you're doing, you're opening the door to the devil. Now, Ephesians 4, starting with verse 32, I'm going to read something here to you. And this is the way we're supposed to treat each other. And be ye kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Is that a pretty good example to follow? Amen. You know? Now, if you forgive them like that, if you forgive everybody like the Lord forgive you, I mean, the debt that they owe you can never be as big as the debt you owe the king. That's right. You know, in other words, my sins, I mean, I look at, some of the people, in fact, one of the little ladies that we dealt with up there, wow, had that little girl lived in hell on this earth. She married a drunk. She had three babies with this drunk. And then she got pregnant. The first time, I think she was totally out of wedlock. I don't think she, in fact, I believe that's what she said. I mean, her and this guy, you know, they're both lost as they can be. So, you know, this is what young people do. Go to bed with each other, right? Yeah. So she got pregnant. Well, then she was forced to marry this guy. She didn't want to marry him. She didn't love him. She just had sex with him. But now then that she's got married, that she's got pregnant, they demand that he and her get married. So they get married. They don't love each other. He's a drunk. He don't love her. So they go through life. And, I mean, life is hell on earth. And then finally she gets pregnant the fourth time, and that time it's so bad. See, she should have. I mean, it's amazing the story this woman's telling us. And this time she don't want this baby. She said, I don't want another baby with this drunk. I got three, and I don't want another one. So she goes to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, it's just a piece of glob anyway, so we'll just abort it. She said, okay, no problem. I don't want it anyway. And so they killed it. Isn't it amazing where we live in America? But this is a natural woman. What else do you expect? 
and then she gets saved. Oh, man. You talk about everything in that woman's world changing. When she got saved, the old woman died. And a new creature came in there. And she became so powerful. I mean, she was so on fire. I mean, she said, when I got saved, and I mean, the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I started, I want to tell everybody what Jesus had done for me. I mean, she said, it was awesome. I started going to church. And said, you know, I'm getting up there and I'm singing and I'm praising God and I'm telling people about Jesus. And said, some of people come down and said, you know, ma'am, ma'am, would you tone it down just a little bit? Tone it down a little bit? The church? You know, you're talking too loud. You know, you're, you're, you know, you're holding your hands too high. You know, you're not doing exactly, you know, tone it down a little. So she said, within just a few years, I was just like all the rest of them. I just come in, sit down, we stand up, we sing a song, and we go home, and I'm not telling nobody about Jesus. Then she said, I realized something's wrong with this picture. So finally, she said, the Lord showed her that she was to. Said the Lord began. Of course, she began to just. I think she got completely out of church. But when she got out of church, she started studying the Word. She's worshiping and praising. In fact, the other day, while we were there in between teaching sessions, I heard a beautiful song coming from supposedly the living room. And I walk in there, and here's this woman. This is her home that we're staying in. She is absolutely standing there with her hands raised, worshiping the King, and I stand there and just watch her. She don't have a clue how many were around. And all of a sudden, after about three minutes into this beautiful song, she just collapses onto her knees on the floor, worshiping the king. I thought, man, this woman's got it together. She's listening to God. And after I saw all of that, we sat that night and talked to her. After all the teaching was over. I said, would you mind telling me how you and your husband come together? She said, yeah, he's a Jew. I said, okay. What's that got to do? She said, God wanted him saved. And so I said, he spoke to me and gave me his name a year before I met him. And told me he had three kids and told me where he lived and what his address was. And also told me how he lived. Said he's a real reprobate. That <laughs> he's living in sin. He's lost. But he said, she said, I, he said, the Lord said, I want you to marry him. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the, the word of God says that a woman's not supposed to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. But I guess when God tells you to do something, He can change His rules. Reckon? You reckon He can? I mean, like I told Wendell a while ago, the last time I checked, he's still the head of the church, the CEO of the universe. And Wendell said, and the next time you check, he'll still be the CEO of the universe. Right. I said, that's right. But the Lord had given this woman all this information and then told her she was to marry this guy. So when he came and met her, he was involved in a dating club. 
and she knew some of the people in that. So one night, the one of the ladies that's supposed to go with him wasn't there or something, so they asked her to go with him. And when they told her who, who he was, she said, uh-oh, this is the guy. So she said, I went with him. And she said, in the natural, I thought there ain't no way I ever marry this guy. She knew where he lived. She knew he was living in sin. She knew everything he was doing. It was amazing. But she said, the Lord told me to marry him. So she said, he asked me to marry him. And I said, okay. So she said, when the Lord told me to marry him, and he asked me to marry him, said it wasn't long before we were going to get married. I was, oh, thanks. They had gotten married, I believe. They were married. They did get married. And then shortly thereafter, a few months or whatever, she had to make a trip out of town somewhere to California or something. And she's getting ready to go out. She's planning and she's telling him and she's going to be gone two weeks or whatever. And then the Lord tells her, Now when you go out of town, your husband has already planned to meet with another woman by the name of so-and-so. So she said, I walk up to him and said, Honey, I'm going out of town. But I suggest you don't follow through with your plan. He said, what plan? She said, the Lord told me, you already have planned tonight to go out to meet so-and-so, and you've already got sex on your mind with this woman. She says, don't do it because God's already told me you've, you had that plan. And she said, he turned white as a sheet. <laughs> right. Now then, if you're tuned in to God... And he can read your mind even into the future. You're in big trouble. He knows what you're going to do before you do it, doesn't he? So she said he didn't do anything. So anyway, after she told me that one night, the next afternoon between training classes, I was sitting out on the patio with him. We were sitting there talking. Just me and him. I said, tell me a little about your life, where you come from, where you worked. And so, man, guys love to tell you where they come from when they were lost. You know, what he did, he was a big wheel with a big organization for years, had a great job, all kinds of things. And those kind of guys really love to talk about what they did, you know. And then he said, and then I met Paula. And he said, I was involved in a dating club. He said, I was having a ball. He said, I was lost. He said, I'd meet all these good-looking women. We'd go out to date go out to their apartment or my apartment, get in bed together, have a great evening, and next day, start all over. He said, that was my life. He said, I loved it. <laughs> Plenty of money, beautiful women, dating club, everything he wanted, he thought. And then he said, I met Paula. And he said, when she told me I was supposed to marry her, he said, I thought, I ain't never going to get married. I'm having too much fun like I am. But then he thought, for some strange reason, I am supposed to marry her. So he said, I ask her. See, God's moving on his heart. And then he said, when I, from the April when we got married till December when I got saved, he said, every time I would think about doing something wrong, she would walk right up in my face and say, God told me you got this on your mind. <laughs> See, she would know the name of the woman, where I was going, and everything. He said, I've never seen a woman like her. And so he said, I found out right quick 
if I was going to be married to her, I had to straighten my act up. And so he said, I did. So he said, I straightened my act up. And then he said, in December, she finally led me to Jesus. And I got saved. And then he said, everything totally changed. But I'm going to tell you, that man today still has demons living in his life. He has demons of lust. I can assure you, demons of lust. Cheryl picked up on it instantly. We got off that airplane and he met us. She picked up on it just like that. She knew what was there. And she kept her distance, I guarantee you. Because she knew. She knew. She's got to, the Lord's given her a gift of discerning of spirits. And she knew what she was fighting. I mean, the very second that they approached us to pick up his airplane, she knew that he had a demon of lust in him. Anyway, it, it was a very interesting week. But this woman and this man... They're serving the Lord now, but she has reached a point where she wants to go wild for Jesus. And that's where every one of us should be. But her husband has reached a plateau, and he says, I don't want to go any further than I am. I got saved. Now, let me make a prophecy to you today. If we're still here in three years, he won't be. She will be, but he won't be. He will be at home with the Lord. The reason that will happen is because he does not want to go on. He wants to stay neutral. And I can assure you that that woman is on fire as Jesus as she is. There's no time. Where God will use that woman, it will be unlimited. But where he is and where he don't want to go, he's going to fall into the criteria of John 15, 2, where the Lord says, Every branch in me that produces no fruit, I cut it off. He, he's, he's going to meet that. He has met that. He's perfectly comfortable. He's happy living in retirement, but he does not want to go beyond where he is. He wants to stay right where he is. Did you know that there's going to be a lot of branches in the kingdom that's going to be cut off in the future because you're complacent and you're producing no fruit for the kingdom. This is not a game we're playing. We're here to be about God's business. We're here to make disciples, to win people to Jesus. We're to be about His business. And as long as we're producing fruit for the kingdom, he'll bless your socks off, Terry. Won't he? Yes, he will. But he expects you and me to use the gifts and talents that he has given us to do what he's called us to do. So when you go home today, don't go home and kick your feet up and watch television and eat popcorn. When you go home... Get the word down. Do a little more reading. Spend some time with the king and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want to walk in total obedience to you. I want to walk in love and I want to walk in obedience. And I want to see you do great and mighty things. And when you step into that realm of total obedience, you'll get to where you'll hear God's voice. Now, this, this has been an awesome week this week to be in the house 
with a precious little woman of God that's so on fire for Jesus. And, of course, one of the other ladies that was there, she has a ministry out in California, and she flew from California to be there with us. And she told us an awesome story about her husband. Now, see, there's what I'm going to tell you, things we do not understand. As she sat there, she told me, she said, my husband was an awesome man of God. She said, he got up every morning at 4 o'clock. And he read the Word for an hour. And then he prayed for an hour. And then he come down and had coffee and a little breakfast, and then he went to work at, at, at uh, 7 o'clock. But he did that every morning. That's a dedicated man of God. But she said he heard from God regular. She said he could walk in and tell me God said. God spoke to me. In fact, she said one day after we got married, where we were living out there, she said when I moved in there with him after I got married to him and moved in with him, she said, I told her, said, the water is terrible here. It's hard. Well, he said, it never bothered me. Well, she said, don't you smell it? Well, I said, yeah, I smell it. You know, and yeah, it's hard. It's got all these minerals in it. But he said, it don't bother me. She said, well, it does me. Well, he said, okay. If it bothers you, then let's go down to the well, and I'll lay hands on it and pray for it, and God will make it soft and sweet. Amen. All right. Glory. Is that a man of faith? Yeah. She said, we went down to that well my husband laid his hands on that well, just like the prophet did whenever the water was terrible. Amen. And he even read that scripture and said in Isaiah and said, he said, Lord, my wife likes sweet water. You've given her me to me. So, Lord, I'm praying, I'm asking you to make this water soft and sweet. And she said, that water, when I went back to the house, was soft and sweet. Amen. And she said, it stayed that way. And said, now, my husband... She said, he was such an awesome man of God. Now, this is the part you and I, or you may understand it, I do not. He was only 47 years old at this time. I mean, later, this happened a few years before. But now he's 47 years old, and one day he comes to her and says, Honey, I've got to take some equipment down and install it. And she said, Well, I'll go with you. She said, I went with him everywhere he went. I would not let him go anywhere without me. But he said, this morning, when I, I, I said, he said, I'm going to leave in the morning or in the middle of the night, and I'm going to go to some city and install a piece of equipment, and then I'm going to drive back. It's a five-hour drive down and a five-hour drive back, and I'm probably going to be down there about three or four hours setting up the piece of equipment. She said, I don't mind. I want to go with you. He said, no, you cannot go because the Lord told me you would not be able to bear the trip. She said, God told you that? She said, yes. And he also told me, that a couple of days later, when you're scheduled to go out to wherever it was on a trip, you are to go by yourself. So you're to make a round-trip airplane ticket just for you. I'm not going. She said, honey, we never go nowhere without each other. He said, but God told me. She said, are you sure God's speaking to you? He said, yes, I heard from the Lord. So she said, I thought, okay. He said, my son-in-law is going to go with me. So, okay. So he said that night they got in the truck and they left and said the next morning early, my son, his son-in-law walked back in. And I said, I thought you went with whatever his name was, her husband. And he said, I did. He said, well, why are you back already? He said, at 5 o'clock this morning, just before we got to an exit, we ran out of gas. And he was guiding the steering wheel, 
And I was pushing behind, and a car ran by and got too close and hit him and killed him. He died at 47. When the Lord told her she would not be able to bear that trip, he didn't want her to see that event with her husband that she loved. He spared her that. And then he also, a few days later, when she was scheduled to go out to somewhere, relatives of some kind, he told her, God showed me that you're going to have to go by yourself. I'm not going to be able to go with you. So go ahead and buy you a round-trip ticket. You reckon he heard from God? Guarantee he heard from God. But see, we don't understand that, do we? At 47, he died. And then this is something else she told me that just blew me away. She said, within two months after he died, the water went back like it was in the well. It went back to hard and sour. And she said, I went down there and I prayed over that well, and it didn't change a thing. But after three days of teaching, she told me when she got ready, she said, when I get back this time, I'm going to lay hands on that well, and it's going to be sweet this time. See, her faith was a whole lot higher than it was when we got there. Why did it turn sweet and soft for him? He believed. He had the anointing. I mean, isn't that amazing, the level of faith? That's exactly right. You reckon he was walking in total obedience to God's Word? Yes, he was. Now then, the average Christian has never heard from God like that man heard from God. Has never seen those kind of answers to prayer. Why? Because we don't spend the time with the king. He got up every morning at four, spent the first hour reading the word and the second hour praying. Every day of his life. She said when she was married to him, they did that every day. Even on their honeymoon night, he did that. He got up at four in the morning. I didn't do that on my honeymoon night. I didn't. I'll have to say, I did not get up that next morning and spend an hour or two with God. I just didn't do it. But let me tell you, <laughs> Ephesians 4. <laughs> about what? Which one? Oh. I thought Cheryl was saying, I won't tell them about the dream. No. She said the cream. Okay, I'll tell you this right quick. See, it's amazing what God will do. This couple sitting there saying, we've been invited to dinner the second day, I guess it was, with this couple. And they're wanting to learn what faith is. And so they pick us up about 11, and we go over to their house for dinner. And we're sitting there, and we've had dinner. And now then they're serving. We're sitting there a little while, and now they're going to serve us a little bit of dessert. And so they're going to serve whatever we want to drink. And we decided to drink hot tea with our dessert. She had hot tea. So she takes two cups and sets in front of me and Cheryl. She puts, she said, I have, she named off two or three kinds of tea. We both selected the same tea out of the same bag, out of the same box. So she gets two bags, put one in mine and one in Cheryl's. And she pours the hot water out of the same teapot in both of them. And we start stirring it up. And then Cheryl said, oh, there's some honey. I love honey in mine. And I said, well, I love honey in mine, too. So Cheryl gets a spoonful of honey and puts in hers and puts a spoonful in mine. And we stir them up. And then she goes to the refrigerator and says, would you like cream in it? And we both said yes. So she sets the half and half on the table. 
And Cheryl pours it into her cup, starts to stir it, and it clavers right before everybody's eyes. And she says, the cream is bad. Look what had happened. And I said, no, the cream is not bad. <laughs> so she picks up the container and looks at it, and she said, you're right. According to this, it's good for at least, I think, two or three more weeks. Uh, what time? October the 11th. Oh, yeah, it was still good until October the 11th. That was the date on that half and half. And I said, let me, y'all wanted to see what faith will do? I said, let me show you what faith does. I said, I'm going to take this same cream that she just poured in her tea that clabbered, and I'm going to pour it in mine, and I'm going to guarantee you on the Word of God it's going to be smooth and soft. And they're all standing there looking. <laughs> and I pick it up and I pour it in there and start stirring. And guess what happened? It was just as smooth and soft and no clabbering. I told her, I said, honey, there's nothing wrong with it. Stir it up again and it'll be fine. And she did, and it was. And Yes, yeah, it was fine. But see, here's the thing you've got to realize. Just like when that man prayed over that well and it worked for him and it didn't work for her. Why is it that one person can pray for somebody and it happens and the next person pray for them and it don't happen? It's totally belief and anointing. Now, it depends on how much time you spend with God. You know, I mean, I can tell you the story... And some of you have heard this story about some of the anointed men of God. I only dream about seeing God do the kind of things I've heard that he has done through other men. I mean, I only dream about it at this point. But I'm going to trust God the day's going to come that I will get there. Because if those men got there, it's an obtainable goal. But, you know, can you imagine? Can you imagine? And, and I, that's all I can do at this point is imagine. That a woman coming to this church and walk up here and hand me a four-year-old baby that has no eyes and no ears and tongue hung out of his mouth and the little body's all contorted and locked up and legs twisted and the child has never walked, never talked, no eyes, no ears and hand me this baby and expect me to get this baby healed. But that happened with a man that I know a few years ago. And the woman brought the baby up and handed him to the man of God. And he held that little baby up before 4,000 people and says, God, in the name of Jesus, healed this little baby. And right before 4,000 people's eyes, the first thing they saw was that little tongue sucked back in his mouth. Two brand new eyes immediately form in his head. Two ears grow out just like that, just like that. Arms come loose, legs come loose, and a little four-year-old child that had been born blind and no ears or nothing jumped down out of this pastor's arms, run across the platform, and jumped into the arms of a woman he had never seen or heard and says, Mama, how would you like to be in this service and see God do something like that? Wouldn't that be awesome to see Him do that? Now, if we... When we get to that place, He's going to do those same kind of things for us. 
But up to this point, I've not paid that price. Now, I paid a price to a certain point, but he went away beyond where I have. But I'm going to pay that price. Aren't we, son? Yes, we are. We're going to pay that price. Amen. We're going to see the king do those kind of things. Now, if he did it for that man, he'll do it for us if we meet that same criteria. So when we say, we come up here and say, well, I don't know if God can heal me or not. Let me tell you, that unbelief is what's ruining you. That unbelief. Now, we've got a couple of places here we're going to go in unbelief, and then we're going to, I didn't realize it was already 4 o'clock, but I had a couple more things on unforgiveness, but still, we had unforgiveness extremely good last week, and th- today, I want you to know that if you've got a grudge against anybody, the first thing you've got to do is forgive and walk in love, or the chances of you getting healed or delivered or ever hearing God's voice is just virtually zero. But if you will forgive everybody from your heart, realizing that if anybody done anything to you, you can be angry at the evil, the devil, but you can't be angry at that person. You've got to forgive that person. Now then, I want to show you some things as to why we don't get our prayers answered. It's when it comes to unbelief. Now, we've had a few experiences here in this church. Matthew 13, 58 is where we're going to start. Matthew, I didn't get through with what I wanted to do there even in Ephesians. But I did cover enough of it there in Ephesians 4.32. You did see where the Lord says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. If the Lord has forgiven you, how should you treat others? I mean, the same way. Now, that he was talking here in the context of these messages that right all throughout here in Ephesians 4 and 5, he's talking about husbands love your wives. Now, any man that loved his wife like that could make his wife a really good place. You know, I mean, if a man would love his woman like Christ loved the church, every woman would be a happy camper. Every woman would be a happy camper. Guys, if you're not doing that, start doing that. Tell your bride how much you love her. Tell her how beautiful she is. Tell her that you're grateful that God has given her to you. Tell her you're grateful for the children that she's bore for you and brought into the world for you. Tell her how much you love her. If you will do that, buy her a card once in a while. Buy her a birthday card or get her a Valentine's card or stop and get her a half a dozen red roses or maybe a dozen red roses or something. But just let her know that you love her. You know, tell her on a regular basis. Now then, let's go to Matthew uh, 13, 58. We go back over here. I want to show you one of the things that causes us not to get things done. Matthew 13, 58. We've got just a, a few places here I want to go in unbelief. Matthew chapter 13, verse 58. The Lord says here, And he did not many mighty works there because of whose unbelief? Their unbelief. Now, then, have you ever wondered why God, this same God, that didn't do any mighty works there in Matthew 13. Why he don't do many for us? Because of our unbelief. We don't believe. Now then, 
while ago when I was talking about the doctors, I guess I'm kind of down on not actually any particular doctor, but I'm just down on the system. Because, I mean, you know, when you go to a, a doctor, most doctors, they're not there to be personal with you. I mean, you know, they're there to just listen right quick. If you've got time, they want to give you something, get you out of there, and they want to charge you $100, $500. I mean, I, I remember one time when I didn't have the faith I have now, I was asked to go to Louisville to have a medical, physical, and my company required that. So I went over there, and the guy, they'd done a physical on me. And when they begin to check me, the guy says, uh, you got a problem with your heart. I see the devil's trying to set me up right there. And I said, no, I don't have a problem with my heart. He said, according to the EKG, something's wrong with your heart. I said, well, there's something wrong with the machine. <laughs> I ain't going there, Frank. I ain't giving that devil no legal right to give me a heart attack, although I didn't know all these things then. But I said, no, I have no problem with my heart. So this guy said, I'm going to put you on a treadmill and do a stress test for you. I said, what's that? He said, well, you just get up on a machine, you run, we hook an EKG to you and everything, and we'll tell you what happens under stress. I said, well, I don't even know what stress is. You know, nothing bothers me. So he comes over there and he puts me on this machine and he hooks all this stuff to him, plugs all these little deals on me, you know, and he says, now walk. I said, okay. So I start walking. This little treadmill's running, you know, and I'm walking, and he starts to increase it. He said, this will take nine minutes. So I'm only about a minute and a half or two minutes into this, and he says, Turns it off. He said, that's good. I said, what's wrong? He said, I don't know, but you got something bad wrong with your heart. I said, what do you mean? He said, look here. One of those little deals was going off scale. I said, there's something wrong with the machine. I mean, that's, that's where I'm coming from. Because I, I am in perfect health. I mean, I am hauling hay, bailing hay, running, running up and down ladders, playing. I mean, I am in perfect health. I have no shortness of breath, nothing. I am never going to believe I had a heart attack. You ain't going to get me the yields of that. No way. But that devil's trying. This guy said, we're going to send you right down to Irving to a heart specialist right now. I said, okay. He said, take all these reports with you. And they called, and they said they could take me. I got down there. I got in, and I'd been sitting out in the lobby about 15 minutes. And that nurse said, Mr. Scribner, you can come in now. I said, okay. So I took myself, and I run in there. I looked at my watch, and it's whatever, five, 15 after 4. So I had a 4 o'clock appointment, and it's now 15 after 4. I walk in there, and he looks at these little graphs I bring. And then he takes a little deal, puts it in his ears, and he listens here and here and here, and then on the back two or three places. He said, your heart sounds strong as a bull. But he said, according to this, something's wrong. We're going to send you right on down to St. Paul, and we're going to do an uh, angiogram on you. I said, what is an angiogram? I think that's what he called it. He said, we cut a hole in your leg, and we put a catheter in your leg and run it up in and put it in your... I said, whoa! Whoa, wait a minute. He said, I'm serious, sir. There's something serious wrong with your heart. I said, well, I feel like a million dollars. You know, I mean, if there's ever a place for unbelief, you're beginning to get there, see? I mean, these are doctors, right? I mean, these people are supposed to know. I'm in his office. I walked outside of his office. I looked at my watch. I've been in there five minutes. Now, this has been 20 years ago. I woke up and I said, ma'am, do I owe you anything for this? I mean, you know, five minutes. And they sent me on. To, she said, yes, $70. I said, $70? I said, ma'am, I was in there five minutes. He didn't do nothing but listen to my chest. 
which is that's what we charge for a doctor's appointment. I said, would you call him out here first? And she said, well, sure. What do you want to see him for? I said, I just want to look him in the eye. I mean, you know how long it took me 20 years ago to make $70? All day. I mean, hard labor. So anyway, the guy come to the front and he said something wrong. I said, yeah, is it really $70 for this, what you did? He said, well, yeah, it's what I charged. I said, that's too high. He said, you think that's too high? He said, no, I don't think it's too high. I know it's too high. He said, look, I had to go to school a long time to get where I am. I said, sir, I went to school a long time to get where I am. I am an engineer, and I'm well-trained, and I can do awesome things. He said, well, I had to buy a lot of equipment. I said, I did, too, and mine cost a lot of money. So, so far, you and me are on level ground. I said, I don't make nowhere close to $70 in five minutes for what I do, so I'm not going to pay you $70 for five minutes either. He said, well, if you think it's too high, just don't pay the bill. I said, good, see you later. And I walked out the door. Now, see, I mean... I, I didn't understand the system. That guy was not there to help me. That guy was there to make money. And so then I did go on down to St. Paul, and I did let them do an angiogram on me. And they, they I'm serious now. See, I, I'm, I'm a man of faith now. I, 20, 25 years ago, I was just barely beginning to learn. And, I mean, if this if happened to me today, of course, number one, I ain't going to be in a doctor's office for no reason today. No reason. Because so many times you go in that doctor's office and they check you. And I'm going to tell you women something right here. Some of you women, maybe some of you in this room right here, go in every two or three or four years for a mammogram. And I'm going to tell you, if you go in for a mammogram, I'm going to tell you those things cause cancer. They cause cancer. I'm, I'm going to tell you, you need to read some of the reports that's going out out here. And I'm going to tell you, if you're a man or a woman of faith, you won't never go to a doctor to have just some kind of casual report done on you. Because if you go to that doctor and they do a mammogram on you, and about I think from some of the reports I've read, 70% of them are inaccurate. And so the doctor will say, you have cancer in your breasts. And then they'll do some kind of a diagnosis, and first thing you know, they got you and you're cutting your breasts off of you, and there was nothing wrong with you. But they got a lot of money, and you suffer the rest of your life with that. All you got to do is trust the Word of God. Amen. You won't never have to undergo that. But there's so many things like that they do tests on people, and those tests are not cheap. You know, I mean, some of them tests they do, like these CAT scans, somebody got a little problem, they do four CAT scans on you to find a problem, and every time they charge you a fortune or your insurance a fortune. And sometimes they don't ever find a problem. So I'm telling you. It, it, when you finally get to where your faith is level is like mine is, when you get past this part of Matthew 13, where Jesus said he didn't do nothing for them because of whose unbelief? Their. Their unbelief. When you get to where you can believe the Word of God, what will he do for you? Well, let's find out what he will do. Let's see what some of the things. Let's go to Matthew 17:20. Let's go over there. 17:20. I want you to see what the Lord says here. Whenever they tried to cast this demon out, and verse uh, 15, Matthew 17, 15, it said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. 
Now, these men have been ordained by God Himself to cast out devils and to heal the sick. And they couldn't get it done. Well, they're just like us. And if they brought Him to it and they could not do it, then Jesus answered and said unto them. Now, after what I read here, I think about what He would say to us today. He says, Oh, you faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil. Now, sometimes that's a pretty intensive battle, isn't it, Wendell? Wendell just went through this week casting ten demons out of one 14-year-old girl. And I'm telling you, it took him about 12 hours, 10 or 8 till 8 that night. I mean, but they got there about 10 that morning. You start teaching the Word about 10, right? So from 10 that morning till what, about what, till about 8 in the evening? Okay. So about 10 or 12 hours, he is involved casting out all these demons out of a 14-year-old girl. And finally got her set free. Now, the average Christian that I know, the first time one of them demons spoke out of her mouth like they did to Wendell, they'd be gone. They'd just, the poor little girl would be there. I mean, but that's, that's sad because we ought to do what that team of people did out there. He's in there driving out the devil and everybody else in there praying interceding for him. See, now that's where the power is at. We don't get this done by ourselves. We're a team in the church. And so when we got people that will back us up, and after Jesus rebuked the devil and, depart, and the devil departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour, then came the disciples of Jesus and said, Why could we not cast him out? Look at Jesus' answer. Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith, big word, isn't it? If you have faith, as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Hallelujah. Now, if nothing shall be impossible unto us, then what is it we're missing? We're still living in too much unbelief. I mean, why is it, why is it that some people come up here and I can lay hands on you and pray for you? And God will instantly heal you. Now, why is it some people come up here like Billy? You just heard her give her testimony. Wendell and I both prayed for her over a period of a, couple, a month or two, whatever it was. And she had a rotor cup that needed to be repaired for a year. And then all of a sudden, the other day, she just happens to raise her arm up and there ain't no pain. What was the king doing? He was healing her. But see, he was doing a healing on her. He promises to heal us every time if we get our sins confessed and walk holy before Him. He doesn't promise to do a miracle every time instantly, but He does promise to heal. So she just went after we prayed for her and just began to thank God and praise Him for her healing, not realizing that one day she started to raise her arm and there ain't nothing wrong with her rotor cup no more. It's healed. Don't even know when it happened. Just know it happened. Now then, if you get the faith to the level you can get people to repent of their sins, and lay hands on somebody and God heals them instantly like He's done several of you in this room when either Wendell or I have prayed for you. That's the part we all love to see. But He don't do that every time, does He? Sometimes He does and sometimes He doesn't. Who is it up to of whether He produces a miracle or a healing? It's up to God. You know, it's not up to me and you, but does He promise to do miracles? If we come to Him in enough faith, yes, He promises to do miracles. I can't control that. All I can do is do the best I can with the Word of God and trust Him that He will do 
many miracles. And when you happen to be one of those that gets one, you need to be grateful and thankful to him too. But if you don't get a miracle when you pray for you, like Billy didn't get a miracle on her arm, she continued to worship and praise the king, and she got a healing. But is it wonderful a, a month or so later? I don't remember what she said, but a few weeks later, all of a sudden she goes to raise her arm one day, and it don't hurt. And so, wow, now then it works like it's supposed to. She got a healing. Huh? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nobody happier than you, right, Billy? But see, when we get that, we need to realize that if we will get rid of our unbelief, unbelief is what separates us from the power of God. When Jesus was here himself, whenever we were walking in unforgiveness, in fact, one of the ladies up there asked me a question during the teaching sessions. She said, I have a question. She said, you're telling me that we have to go out and get people's sins confessed before we can get them healed. I said, well, it sure does work a whole lot better. I said, if you'll teach a healing school or teach people that they're sick because of sin, and the sin may only be unbelief, but I said, if you'll teach them, if they've got a problem and nearly everybody in the church has got sins, if you'll get their unforgiveness taken care of, you'll get their uh, faith built up, get their unbelief kicked out, I said, then it gets real easy to get people healed. Well, she said, Jesus didn't do that. I said, oh, yes, he did. And they said, no, he didn't do that. He just come and he just touched them and they got healed. I said, oh, yeah. Jesus sent a forerunner called John the Baptist. Amen. He sent that guy six months in advance. He sent him to walk through the nation of Israel. And what was John's message? Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his only message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, he went through telling them. I mean, can you imagine? I, I mean, would you get sick and tired of hearing a preacher? It's all he's got to say. Walks up in your face and say, Repent. 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 The kingdom of heaven's hand. Repent. You wicked sinners, repent. The king is coming. Repent. And that's all he was saying. What did Wendell? And he says, And they came by the droves, and they realized their sins, and they came and he baptized them for the remission of their sins. When they repented, they got the nation cleaned up. Now then, when Jesus walks in, he got a nation full of people that are repented. Now then, the devils have no legal claim, so Jesus walks in and casting out the devils and healing the sick. I said, it's a wonderful thing. I said, so the same thing with us. That's why I teach a healing school. That's why Wendell spent three hours or so teaching the power of God's Word before he began to cast that devil out of that little girl. When you build people's faith up to a certain level, and then you get them past that state of unbelief, after they got all their unforgiveness and everything cast out, and now then they're repented up, Everything's taken care of. You know you're walking in love, and you know you've stepped into a realm. You can believe God's promises. You know it's yes for you. When you touch somebody in the name of Jesus, what happens to them? They get healed. That's right, brother. They get healed. And some of them get healed instantly. Because there's some of you in this room here today that have been healed instantly. And there's other of you that have been healed over time, like Billy. You know, many of you have received those kind of I call them all miracles from God, whether it be instantaneous or it takes a little while. But the thing about it is, what blows me away is I go to a place like I did in Pittsburgh, and with, I don't even know how many people was in that lower room, 40, I guess. We didn't have a great number of people there. But out of 40 people, there was not one single person that ever seen a miracle or a healing in church. Boy, is, but now, you know, I, I was raised up in one right out here in Justin the last 20 years, and 
it's the same thing. I mean, if I didn't pray for them, do you know the only people I ever saw healed or delivered in Justin First Baptist Church, I prayed the prayer of faith for them. I never saw healing in that church other than that. Why is that? We're steeped in unbelief. Now, then if you pray a prayer of faith saying, Oh, God, if it be your will, will you please heal sister so-and-so? It don't, nothing going to happen because there ain't no faith in that. And so that's why we don't see God do these miracles. Now then, unbelief, you need to get rid of your unbelief. When you get rid of your unbelief and you know you got your sins confessed, then God will move in your, on your behalf and you'll get to see Him do great and wonderful things. How do you get rid of your unbelief? No. You know. you got to study the Word of God. The way you get rid of your unbelief, you study the Word of God. And you become a diligent student of the Word of God. And you read it and study it over and over and over and over and over and over. And somebody says, that's too much trouble. I say, okay, then stay sick if you want to. It's your choice. If you'll repent and you'll do what the Lord says... He is no respecter of persons, and He's not going to show any favoritism to you. He's going to require the same thing out of every one of us, and therefore I'm grateful. And so, therefore, I know what I'm up against. I don't have to say, well, He'll make it easier for you than He will me, because that's not the case. He treats each one of us the same. So now then, we're going to, what song are we going to sing? We're going to sing a song? Yeah. What song are we going to sing? Wendell? We'll sing one, one verse. Let's sing one verse of a song that we'll pray for those. And we'll, do you got a testimony? Oh. Well, I do, but... It's, what what do you need? I wanted to ask the congregation if they have seen my Bible. Oh, uh, Kathy has... Kathy Reinhardt, have you seen it? Okay, I somebody's have, lost... Uh, Kathy's lost her Bible. We, we've, we may have I a whole... Have, I've looked over there. You looked over there? But the Bible is a large Bible, and it's been given to me by a dear loved one. And it has my name on the front in gold. Kathy Reinhardt. If anybody has seen it, or you'd like to have it back. Yes, I would. Okay, okay. So we'll we'll look for it. If you've looked over here, right, Kathy? How, how when did you lose it? About maybe six weeks ago. Oh, six weeks ago. Okay, wow. Okay. If anybody sees Kathy's Bible, I'd appreciate it if you bring it back to her. And somebody else had a question. You said you had a question, ma'am. Oh, hold it, just a minute. Whoops, I stepped on that Bible. Let me get a mic so you can hear. I, whoops. Screw that back on there for me. A question about unforgiveness. If I have a situation in, in my family where I've forgiven someone, but every time I go back to my mother's to visit, those people are there. And it's, it's a constant situation, a lot of demonic behavior. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to be there because I naturally get these kind of, you know, there, there's just problems. Sure. It's I'm like sure. an attack almost. Yeah. And, and it's sad, but I can't do anything about it. Oh, yes, you can. That I know of. Yeah. Okay. You, you want me to tell you how, what to do? Yes. I'll tell you something you can do about it. First of all, when you begin to realize your power in prayer. When you start praying the prayer of faith, when people, when people tell me that, well, you know, that person has a free will and I can't change that. Well, let me tell you something I've learned about free will. Each one of us are made in the image of Christ, in His likeness. 
if your your being was not being acted or attacked upon by the spiritual kingdom, every person would walk holy before God and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because you're born from His kingdom, your spirit came from His kingdom, and your spirit wants to serve Him and wants to go back to His kingdom. So you would serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There would be no lost people on the earth. The only reason we have the problem we have is because of the devil. And the Word of God clearly tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, that if there's any lost on the earth, they're lost because the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded their mind to the gospel. So if he has blinded your mind to the gospel, he's blinded your mind to all these other things, hatred, anger, rage, all these things is caused by the enemy. And when you get a hold of the fact that you can come, like Hebrews 4, 16 says, into the throne of grace, bold as a lion, before your daddy, and tell him what you want. When you really get, when you get it in your spirit that you're not trying to persuade God to do something He's reluctant to do, He's on your side. Amen. Yes, he he's is. your daddy, yes, he and He loves you, and He's trying to tell you that even when you were yet a wild, wicked, stupid, nasty, filthy sinner, I sent my son to die for you, so that if He would do that when I was out there, He said, "How much more when I come into the kingdom? What, how much more would He do for me?" So you've got to realize, once you get saved, now then, all you've got to do is learn how to pray. So if you've got people that's got unforgiveness toward you, you've forgiven them. Before you go visit them, catch yourself up into the third heaven, into the throne of grace, and come in before your daddy and praise him and worship him and thank him for a few minutes for what he's done for you, and then call the devil in there and command that devil to get his hands off of so-and-so and so-and-so. Demand that he stop blinding their mind to the gospel. I mean, demand that he do it. I mean, when you, I used to read that scripture in John 14, 13. And, of course, in the English it says, whatever you ask the Father in my name. But in the Greek it says, whatever you demand. And I thought, Lord, why would I demand from you? And he said, you don't demand from me. You're demanding from the devil. He said, you don't demand nothing from me. I already give you everything. He said, everything I give to Jesus, I give to every one of you, my children. Everything is yours as my sons and daughters. You don't have to even ask me for it. It's already yours. But you see, what you have to do is demand it from the devil. He's the problem. So when you demand that the devil get his hands off of those people and you ask the Father in the name of Jesus to send the Holy Spirit to begin to convict those people of sin and to bring them into the kingdom and then use you as a labor or somebody, whoever the perfect labor is, to bring them into the kingdom, you will begin to see a total difference in those people. Now, I know some of you have heard this story and some of you hadn't, but I'm going to, and Sherry, when she heard me tell this the first time, she was just on cloud nine. She said, you've got to tell the church that story. She said, that's the most awesome story I ever heard in my life. Well, what happened was when I realized my spiritual authority, there was a man called me on the prayer lines one night, and he had a wife, and his wife had left him and went to work in a strip club. Now, the normal woman doesn't leave her husband and her children and go to work in a strip club. But her eyes are blinded by the God of this world. She'll do that. So this woman had left, and he wanted me to pray. So I went to the third heaven. I rebuked the devil, commanded him to get his hands off this woman, stop blinding her mind, and then I asked the Lord to send the Holy Spirit to begin to draw her into the kingdom, convict her of sin, and call her into the kingdom. And then I said, Lord, send the right labor to win her into the kingdom, and if it's her husband, use him. I said, but if it's, he's not the right one, use the right one. Now, what have I done? I went boldly to the throne of grace where my daddy is. 
I praise Him for these promises, quoted them all to Him, and then I give the devil a command, command Him to stop blinding the mind of this woman because that's what He's doing. And then ask the Lord to send the Holy Spirit to convict her of sin. And so, Friday night when I prayed that prayer for Him, the very next Friday night, I was on the prayer lines again over there at Daystar, and the phone rang. And when it did, as soon as we went on the air, the first phone rang, it was mine, and it was that man. Of course, when he said, I need to talk to Thurman Scrivener, I said, that's me, sir. He said, I'm so-and-so. I said, okay, what can I do for you? He said, you don't remember me. I said, no, sir. He said, I was the man who had the wife that had, was a strip dancer. I said, oh, yeah, I remember that. Okay, I remember praying for you last Friday. He said, i got to tell you what happened. He said, you told me when you hung up, just as you hung up, you said, now, when your wife comes home and she's going to, you call me. He said, I never heard a man speak with that kind of faith. But he said, within one hour after you hung up that phone, my phone rang again. It was my ex-wife. And she called me and said, honey, I was down here in this club, and it's like scales fell off of my eyes. And I thought, what am I doing working in a place like this? So she said, she turned in her uniforms, called me, and wanted me to come pick her up and bring her home. And said, I did. I went and got her. And he said, that night, I led her to Jesus. He said, the next morning, she and I went and found a preacher, and we got remarried. And he said, this last week's been wonderful in our home. My wife's back loving me. And I said, well, how long had you and her been divorced? He said, only 14 years. She had been in that club 14 years, eyes blinded by the God of this world, and I made one trip into the throne of grace, kicked the devil out of her life, slicked the Holy Spirit on her, and the Lord did everything I asked Him to do. And in one hour, that woman was out of that club, and another hour, she's at home with her husband, and she's saved, and the next morning, they're married. And, it's, and for a year, I kept up with them for a year, and they were just... I mean, wonderfully in love with each other and raising, of course, their kids are nearly grown by this time. But who was it blinds the minds of people? How much power do we have over the devil? So why don't we start exercising that power? Stop, stop wallowing around in your tears and do something. You know, catch yourself up into the throne of grace and come before your daddy. He's on your side. And begin to ask him to do great and mighty things for you. But remember now, when you walk in there, you better walk in there holy. If you walk in there with sin in your life, what does He do for you? Nothing. You know why He don't do nothing? He wants to. But you know why He can't heal you when you walk in there with sin in your life? Because there's a devil standing here that says, Oh, so Sharon's up here asking for healing of her back, is she? Oh, but you remember why she's up here. She's never confessed that sin right there. And the Lord says, you're absolutely right. And the insurance said, well, that sin happened 30 years ago. Well, I don't make no difference how long ago it happened. The devil remembers it good, doesn't he? So when you repent of that sin, then when you step into the throne of grace in faith, the devil can't do nothing, can he? And then when we reach up and touch her in the name of Jesus, Jesus said, that's what I've been wanting to do for my daughter all this time, but I couldn't until she repented. And Thurman touched her in faith and said, now I'm going to heal my baby and get her healed. And she was instantly healed on January the 8th after 30 years. Is Jesus awesome or is he awesome? You see, we're not trying to persuade God to do something he's reluctant to do, are we, Sharon? We get our sins confessed and do what he says. He's waiting there to give you what's already yours. And being well with no pain is better than being sick and down in your back. Amen. 
So, see what you can do? In the name of Jesus. Wow. You're going to play us a song? Praise the King. Dick's going to play us one. We'll have a little music. What do we got? Oh, what do we got? Another question? Yeah, I haven't had time to talk about that, have I? No. No. Yeah, well, one of the things, yeah, that Elaine mentioned, and I need to make sure that you do know that, even if you have unforgiveness toward yourself, it's just as bad as holding unforgiveness towards someone else. Now, if somebody's done something to you and you hate yourself, the Lord clearly says you are to love yourself as, as love your neighbor as yourself. So you're supposed to love yourself. So if you have unforgiveness toward yourself for anything, you must forgive yourself also or he'll, the devil will still be able to get you with that unforgiveness. So when the Lord says walk in love toward all people, he means that not only just to all other people, but that means you too. So when you walk in love to yourself and you do everything right, then you can ask the Lord to come and do whatever you want him to do, and he will do great and mighty things for you. So when you catch yourself up into the throne of grace, Come against those forces of darkness that are blinding the man of those people, you know, and then ask the Lord to put a spirit of love, joy, and peace in them. You know, you, you'll be amazed at what you can see the Lord do when you do those things in faith. 